So if the Shakur estate couldn't prove a preponderance of evidence that Orlando Anderson had anything to do with the shooting, then one can safely say you can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Orlando Anderson did anything to Tupac Shakur. Because if they can't get enough evidence for that, then how? Because civilly, they they have ways of acquiring things from a criminal investigation. You know, they're they're when there's a civil suit, you can bet they're getting any media interview, any court hearings or anything like that, and they're acquiring all that for their civil case too. Stopping you there, uh-huh. would since you've said, since you've made that revelation that you knew who killed Tupac less than a year going into it, mm-hmm. would their case have had access to the same information that you had that led you to that conclusion? Probably not everything. Probably not everything. What does and, that mean? And everything that I have wouldn't have changed the civil outcome, I don't think. Really? Unless, no, I, I don't think so. Vilified, deified. It's hard to find anyone apathetic about rapper and actor Tupac Shakur. By the time of his passing, September 13, 1996, he had sold millions of records. In death, the prolific musical artist would sell millions more. Twenty-five years ago, it was clear to me how influential Tupac was, and I went in hard in reporting the case as a correspondent and producer on a primetime crime show. I was the first to secure the video of the now infamous beatdown at the MGM Grand, the first to get a hold of the search warrant affidavit detailing the gang warfare that erupted after Tupac was shot. Another first was securing interviews with the original Las Vegas Metro investigators. Twenty-five years later, once again, an exclusive. I interview now-retired homicide detective Brent Becker. Nothing is off the table. Oh, and if you've heard any of Tupac's songs, you've heard some of the language lightly sprinkled throughout this podcast. Enough said. Lennon Ozizwe reporting, Tupac's murder was his case. Episode 8, Questions. Along with the questions you sent me, some of you dear listeners have complimented the sound quality the production values of this podcast. I know that credits normally run at the end of every episode, but this time I'm going to mix it, pun intended, I'm going to mix it up. A very heartfelt thank you to sound producer Jen Nathan Orris. I had this idea to do a podcast following up on my reporting 25 years ago, so I was in search of a competent sound engineer. Instead, I found an extraordinary human being who not only expertly sorted out the sound design for the podcast, she also kept me on track. That pun is intended to, and buoyed, or should I say, she turned up the volume of my spirits in ways I will never be able to fully express. 
And there's no way I can fully repay you, Jen, for all the ways you've boosted me along this path, but I will do my best to do so. Brent Becker has been the focus of this podcast because, in fact, Tupac's murder was his case. While you may have not heard his name during the end credits, you have heard him providing exclusively a behind-the-scenes view of the original investigation. He's never refused to answer any question, no matter how uncomfortable, and it bears repeating a reminder that he has not received a dime for talking with me. I would like to say again, thank you, Brent Becker, for speaking with me and for providing your unique perspective. And yes, we are just about to get to your questions, but I do have an answer to one of Brent's questions to me. He was wondering why one of the FI or field investigation cards featured in the movie Murder Rap inside the Biggie and Tupac murders appeared to have some writing in red ink. Well, from what I can tell, it was a choice made by the producers or the graphic artists of that documentary. Also, do know that if I could not confirm that you were open to having your name shared on the podcast before deadline, I just made you anonymous. And you didn't think I was going to forget to thank all you listeners in general for listening and questioning? Thank you. Dear listeners from around the world, from Macedonia to Algeria, from Italy to Malaysia, have been listening, and some of them have been sending in their questions. Before we get to them, I wanted to ask you a couple of things. One, what reaction have you been getting so far to the podcast? So far, everybody's been fairly positive. I mean, stuff's being said that other than Kevin and Mike, my old partner and my old sergeant, other people didn't really know about because I never really talked about it. So they've been very interested in it. And uh, because like I said, I've got a friend who's a retired policeman who's a college teacher now. And he's really interested in it. Uh, I've got people overseas that are very interested in it. And they just, like I said, everything's been pretty positive as far as I'm concerned. Anything that they were most surprised by from the episode so far? No, because like I said, most of my friends are policemen and you aren't going to surprise them a lot. Uh, but this case was different than your everyday yeah. case. Yeah, but, you know, most people I work around, it doesn't make a difference. We don't, at least I never looked at it as your victim's a celebrity or your victim's just John Q. Citizen. Right. I looked at them as they were a murder victim, and we're going to do the best we can to solve it. A John, a celebrity shouldn't get any more or better work out of you than John Q. Citizen should. You should be doing the best you can with what you have available. I got you, but I'm asking in the sense that you did things in an unusual way 
in some regards. You went to a, an, you were a homicide detective sent to an attempted murder. You had a case file that was locked up. There were some, you had an autopsy that was done at a time previously you'd never seen that happen. So that, that, that was a context in which I was asking. Well, yeah, in, the, in that case, those circumstances were unusual. I'll agree with that. As far as, well, I mean, I've worked cases where we've had to travel a lot. Uh, I'll say that this particular case is right up there as far as gotten the most interest from the community, so to speak. And it, it makes sense because of who the victim was, Tupac Shakur. But uh, yeah, there was. There's been some drama in this case that I've probably never run in before. And I think I've always, I've always said, when you stick a camera in front of a policeman or a bunch of policemen, they're going to act out for the camera, which I think most people probably do because it's not normal for those of us that aren't in the entertainment business where we aren't in front of a camera all the time, they probably try to portray themselves in a better way. And, uh, you know, and especially since after I left in 2001 and learning everything that went on since has been kind of surprising to me, but that's life, I guess. Now, from among people in your circle, have you heard anything in terms of, I wish she'd asked this question, or why did she ask that question? No, no, I, I, I guess it's because most of my friends, one, if they did know who Tupac Shakur was at the time, it wasn't that they were, you know, listeners or big fans or anything like that. So it's, it's just, you know, it's a case. Yeah. It's somebody who a lot of people know, but it's not a, a super fan type of thing for them. Got you. Well, I will say that on my end, 99.9% of the reaction has been positive. And most of it, even if they don't necessarily, how to put this, they may not be necessarily fans of Popo or Five O or the police. There's been a sense of curiosity. We want to know from your perspective what happened. And I had done an interview with an, an OG rapper named Tweed Cadillac, who really did come at me very strongly and sincerely with the sentiment of, I've had very bad experiences with law enforcement. And one thing I have seen in the wake of doing this podcast is comments via social media saying they simply do not believe you and even got a comment like that sent to me directly. 
And for me, I'm always curious when someone says that they don't believe an individual, I want to know what it is that they don't believe because I don't see it as a blanket statement that you can just say, I don't believe that person. Through talking to Tweed Cadillac, I did come to a better understanding of what's behind that sentiment in that in his case, not having known you in particular, he did have encounters with law enforcement in which he was treated very badly. And because of that, and, and I will say Tweed Cadillac is African-American, as I said, an OG rapper, but because of his previous experiences, he then translated that to mean that you are not to be trusted. And I guess I can understand that. Uh, but I can also disagree with it in that, you know, in our world today, there's this big thing about labeling groups one way or another. And it's not the individual, it's the group. So you're guilty by association, I guess you'd call it. And I've, I've never been a big fan of that. So, but again, I'm not here to change anybody's mind as far as whether they believe me or not, because truly, I don't care. I'm telling you what happened. You can believe me or not. Uh, you be Someone believing me doesn't change anything as far as what happened in the investigation. It says, because their belief or not has no bearing on the investigation. So, you know, it, it may seem crude or crass to say that, but that's my feeling. I says, I, I know what I did. I'm telling you what I did and you're putting it on this podcast and people are either going to believe it or not. So be it. Because I'm sure you could put them on and they could say something and I could say, I don't believe you. So, you know, it's, if you call me a liar, tell me what it is I'm lying about. If you call me a name, tell me what it is I did to cause this. Don't just do it carte blanche because to me, that's being childish. Simple as that. And I know that both of us went into doing this podcast thinking there were going to be people who would not like this or that, and that both you might you might be a target of blowback, and I might be. I mean, I thought that from the beginning. I also thought from the beginning there are some people who are going to think that I'm asking you questions that are too tough. One question that Tweed Cadillac did ask, again, in the context of him not really believing in police, not having positive encounters with law enforcement, saying he's never done anything wrong for him to be treated the way he's been treated. One question he wanted to know was basically about your personnel file. Oh, okay. Well, I can tell you that there's nothing in there of interest. If, if you're looking for something that says I use excessive force or target people for racial purposes or whatever, there's nothing there. I says, I've, I've probably got a pretty, a pretty boring personnel file. 
I mean, my personnel file is probably full of transfers and my promotion and maybe a couple of nice little attaboys or something. You know, you got to remember when I hired on, they had like a Xerox, it was a Xerox form where they just type on a little thing to say, you know, you did a good job on this. It was a very generic looking thing. I guess today they have some pretty fancy stuff they put out, you know, but that's all that's in there. I think when I retired, I did get some of my file. I don't remember if I got all of it, but there's a lot of stuff in there with like uh, back in the day, they used blue cards for lineups for where you were working that day. There's copies of blue cards in there. There was copies of a short memo saying that on this day in training, they covered, or in briefing, they covered this training topic. I mean, it's just pretty boring stuff. Okay, so that was for you, Tweed Cadillac. You had inquired, and, and I did say that personnel files are confidential. So oh, yeah. Uh, I've, I know that for a fact. We talked about it early on. Uh a murder in which, you know, I was ended up arresting a police officer. I couldn't get his personnel file. They refused to give it to me. And I'm a member of the department. I'm investigating a murder and that information wasn't, I was told that's not available to me. So. All right. Let us dig into questions from our listeners. First one, and interestingly enough, just to look at the overall questions, a lot came in on Orlando Anderson, a lot. Really not one so directly about what happened at the autopsy, a question related to who was at the autopsy, but a fair amount about Keefe I'm going to try and do my best to take these in some kind of order, in chronological order, but if we fall out, so be it. Okay. S starting with something that happened September 7th, 1996, and this relates to Officer Stan Height. He works security for a potentially disruptive party. That's what the questioner says. 15 cars were at the guard gate, and the last car to enter and leave was a cream-colored Cadillac. We did discuss this earlier, but we'd just like to hear anything you'd like to add about that issue. Well, I guess just going over it again, I know that Stan was, I think, one of three officers working off-duty at this event. I think it would have been the community where Suge Knight's house was. I think they had a gate, if I remember right. Uh, they had a security guard, so it wasn't just Metro there. And they would have been hired by someone in the community. It wasn't that the police department said they wanted people working there. It was someone contact the police department and wanted some officers working there. I don't know if they were expecting any issues because it was Suge Knight's house or if if it was related to something else. I, I don't remember that. I know that there was uh, 
Stan did an, a report on it because I got a copy of it. It's in the case file. And he talked about the however number of cars there were and some of the drivers or occupants. And I think most of them were with monikers or nicknames. Uh, I remember the cream-colored Cadillac. And that cream-colored Cadillac had no relation to Orlando Anderson or the white Cadillac or white Lincoln Town Car, whichever you want to run with at the shooting scene. It just happens to be there was a cream colored Cadillac. And because cream and white, you know, especially at night can probably be mistaken. I understand the questions about it, but in fact, th that car, those occupants were not the occupants who were in the car that shot Tupac Shakur. And again, to put it in the chronology, Tupac had gone from the MGM Grand fight to the Luxor to Suge Knight's home where this officer would have seen the cream-colored Cadillac. Correct. They were on their way to the Club 662 when this white Cadillac, according to witnesses, according to most witnesses, said that a, a gunman's arm came out and shot into the car carrying Tupac and with, with Suge driving. Correct. Okay. Next. And this is another one I know the answer to, but I'd like you to give an answer to. This comes from Adam. Was Tupac airlifted to the hospital? There are people that say he was airlifted. Others say he was driven by ambulance. He was taken by ambulance. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've learned since doing this that the two original EMTs that worked for the ambulance or paramedics or whatever got interviewed by somebody. I don't, I don't remember specifically. But it was a I, news station, right? A Las Vegas news yeah, station. Yeah, they were, they were the ambulance that transported Tupac to UMC, which is University Medical Center, the hospital. And... Apparently, there were three uniformed officers that took the ride with them to the hospital in the in the ambulance, which is unusual. I I personally have never heard of that many people being in police officers being in the ambulance, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened before. I just personally don't know that. Yes, when I when I heard the report that three had been in the ambulance, I wondered why. Well. And maybe they know who Tupac Shakur was at the time. But that wouldn't justify a reason why. <laughs> well, I'm not going to sit here and try to justify why they did it, because I, I don't have a clue why. Uh, I know that I've never ridden in an ambulance with anybody to the hospital myself over 31 years as a policeman. Now I've gone to the hospital. I've gone to the hospital to follow up on stuff several times, but I've never ridden in the hospital, so I I don't know why. And that would be a question that you'd probably have to hunt those guys down and ask them. And this was Adam following up, wondering about what happened exactly in terms of Tupac's finger and the ring on his finger and. Would 
the shattered gold ring be something that would have been kept in evidence. So what happened in terms of the injuries to his finger? And there would, there would be photographs. Uh, it would be in the case file because they would take, they would take photographs of injuries. They'd take photographs at the autopsy also of injuries. Uh, as far as the ring, I'm sure it was, from what I remember, it was taken initially. I don't know if it, I don't remember if it was released or not. I mean, there was no evidentiary value to the ring. I mean, it's a ring the guy was wearing. Uh, it has no bearing on the investigation. I don't know if it was released to the Shakur estate. Uh, there would probably be something in the case file to that effect. I just, I don't remember. All right. And this question also from Death Row East via Instagram. Was Las Vegas Metro aware that there was a stash box inside the BMW with one or possibly two guns in it? And Death Row East says that could be one reason why Suge was hesitant to do an interview after the shooting. Were you aware I've, of any weapons inside the BMW? I've, I've heard that story. All right. Now, if there was a weapon in that car, it wasn't in the car when we towed it and processed it because that car would have been gone through by CSIs who processed the vehicle. Now, if there was a firearm in that car and Suge Knight took it out before the police got there, Suge Knight's the one that would know that. Uh, but there was nothing, there was no firearm found in the car when we took control of the car. Was there any other significant evidence you remember being still in the car? Gosh, I don't remember. Uh, if there was any little bit of dope, maybe. I, I don't remember. Uh, the big, the significance of it was, one, it was the car that Tupac Shakur was in. Two, it had bullet holes in it. So that would give us some ideas of things. Uh, the blood from the impact, the damage to the car when uh, Suge Knight was fleeing the scene because of going over the median. Uh, I mean, even if there's a baggie of marijuana in there, my personal feeling is what's the significance of that in the big scheme of things? How many people like to smoke a little marijuana now and then? Uh, Not me. You don't. You don't. You don't go gunning up a car over a little baggie of marijuana. You might do it over a large amount, but that wasn't the case here. So, uh, that like that said, wasn't it, the case potentially, or you're saying that wasn't. Oh the no, case? there was there was no indication that they were transporting a large amount of drugs. No, not not at all. If there was a little. And again, I just don't remember if there was a little bit of marijuana. Well, so what? For personal use, you're saying. I mean, everybody since since I got involved with it, everybody said Tupac liked to smoke a little weed. Oh well, well maybe even a lot. <laughs> Him and how many other millions of people? 
Right, and now it's it's legal, and I yeah. can go down the street and get it if I wanted it. So was Las Vegas Metro aware of the previous shooting that occurred between the Death Row Entourage and Southside Crips? Suge had his Rolls Royce shot up at a gas station while en route to Club Paradise in L.A. Both Tupac and Keefe D were part of the caravan heading to the club. I had heard about this incident. Had you? You know, I remember hearing something about a Rolls Royce. I just don't remember all the details about it. I mean, I can tell you during this investigation, I learned about all kinds of shootings. Related to Tupac. Related to Tupac, Suge Knight, you know, I mean, I, Tupac Shakur got shot once before in New York City. And got Which we did discuss earlier. I right. know that there was uh, something about a shooting in Atlanta. Uh, with two off-duty policemen. Yeah. You don't remember that specifically, and you don't believe it had any sig grand significance you know, to the case. I don't remember the details. I remember something about roles, but I just don't recall it right now. And no, there was no significance that ever came out of it. If there was, no one ever said there was, and there was no evidence to direct us that way. Do you remember if the name Zip came up early in the investigation as someone who was a person of interest, and that's, I know that's a term you go for, a person of interest, or who may have supplied the murder weapon? I can't tell you if Zip was early on. I remember the name Zip coming up uh, as far as supplying the murder weapon. I don't remember if that was one of the stories or not. Uh, I just, I just, I do remember Zip, but I, I can't go into any great detail as to what exactly, if it was because he supplied the murder weapon or not. It, it may have been, again, everything, anything that would have been said or relayed would have been documented. And like I said, if it was an anonymous tip, Say a phone call I got, I had a separate floppy disk I kept also for like obscure phone calls that didn't didn't require a whole lot of follow-up, you know, like the ghost of Tony Spilatro killing, killing him or something like that. So would this have gone into that or would you have thought since Zip had connections? If it was Zip, it probably went into a, re a regular report. Because that's a little more, there's a little more to that if they're alleging that Zip provided the murder weapon. I mean, the ghost of Tony Spilatro, well, that, I guess that just depends on if you believe in reincarnation of somebody doing that. I don't know. Got you. And Death Row East goes on to wonder, do you personally think that Zip might have had a motive to instigate a hit on Tupac for his lyrics in the song, Hit Him Up? as Zip was godfather to Puffy, as well as Biggie's children? No, I do not believe whatever stories are out there about Zip. I, I am a strong believer that he isn't the reason this happened. The name Phil Ramos, I'm sure that's one you're familiar with. Can you tell me why? 
Phil Ramos was a member of Homicide when I was in there. He was on a team on a different squad. Uh, he had a, another partner and a sergeant. He, he was not on our squad under Kevin Manning. And uh, basically, the way we did things is if, if we had a, a call, and, and in this case, because it wasn't a murder yet, but if we have a call that's really, a, a, say, a lot of shots are fired or something, and we may need some help, a lot of witnesses we need to interview, well, what we would do is we would get our, another team from our squad to come out with us. Traditionally, we didn't call out teams from other squads unless it was a really, really big thing that you had, say, a hundred witnesses. You may need quite a few people out there, and the most detectives you had on a squad would have been six, two, three teams of two. So if you needed a 10 detectives out there, well, then you'd go over to another squad and, and get them to help out. Uh, in this case, Phil, well, I've said before that it was unusual in that we got called out on an attempt murder. I mean, we were told up in front, up front that no one had died. So we got called out. It was Kevin Manning, our sergeant, myself, and... Mike Frank's my partner. That was it, as far as from the homicide section. Uh, the, our lieutenant, Larry Spinoza, wasn't even out there that day, be, or that evening, because I'm pretty sure he was at some sort of training conference or something. So we didn't have our lieutenant out there. And the lieutenant's job primarily was to take care of any media-related items on the scene where the sergeant would help us maybe to get acquire search warrants or something while we were doing interviews and crime scene and such like this. But in this case, Kevin would have been having to kind of wear two hats. If there, if there, I don't remember any media because that would have been Kevin's job. I wouldn't have been following him around to see what was being said. You were doing so the interview. He got interviewed. That would, that would have been his job that night. If, if that was needed. Was Phil at the autopsy? No. Uh, Kevin Manning, Mike Franks, myself. There would have been a CSI who came out to do photography and take any evidence that may have been found. I, I think I know who that way. It wouldn't have been the same CSI that was out the night of the shooting because it's a different shift. There would have been the medical examiner or the doctor, which is Benjamin Jordan, because he's done an interview. I can't tell you. I just don't remember who the forensic assistant was that night. But if you can acquire the autopsy report, it will list the doctor, the forensic assistant, the CSI and the detectives that were present for the autopsy. And Phil was Phil was not there. Yeah, I was going to say the best of your recollection. There were no other homicide detectives present inside no. the autopsy. There had um, been no reason for anybody else to be there because it's an autopsy. Even though we were doing the autopsy at night, 
I mean, we're still inside a building. It's not like we're out in the middle of a parking lot or something like that. And that would have been something you would have remembered because to have somebody there inside the autopsy who was a homicide detective not on your squad would have been unusual. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that Mike Franks and Kevin Manning will firm that up that Phil wasn't there. Any thoughts as to why there's some uh, sentiment that he was there? I have no idea why that would come up. If if Phil says he was there, you'd have to ask Phil about that. I, like I said, I I I have no idea. That's not a conversation I ever had with him. And uh, the only other detectives that would have been there after the fact would have been general assignment detectives, and that was related to the infamous Polaroid shot that got taken. Did you talk to Phil at any point, or do you recollect talking with him, interacting with him regarding the case at any point? I, I don't recall. And, you know, sometimes we would be in the office, which you saw. We call it like the bullpen. It was a big open room. There may have been conversation about it, but I don't know that there would have been anything spectacular about it. If he did anything, and I can tell you that sometimes if a detective was going somewhere to do some follow-up on one of their cases, and there happened to be some details that maybe another team or another squad had there, sometimes we'd help out, because I did that once. I had to go down to the Phoenix area to interview a guy on one of my cases, and the murder suspect on one of their cases had supposedly been stopped by the Phoenix police. And that person may have been living somewhere. And actually Kevin Manning was with me on that trip. And we went and did some follow-up for that, for Phil and his partner on that case. But that was just because they asked if we would go check on it. And, and we knew the case because it was rather, had some notoriety too. For because of the victim from the Las Vegas area was well known. And in regards to Lieutenant Spinoza, I recall meeting him as well when I came to interview you all. Yeah, he was he the lieutenant on the case. He would have been our lieutenant when you came in because I'm trying to think September, October. I know Wayne Peterson became our lieutenant after Larry Spinoza. I can't tell you for sure when Wayne came in. He could. Uh, I know he was there in December because he was out on a case or two of ours. But I, I couldn't give you a specific date. Now, Kevin might be able to, but I don't remember. Uh, it seems because he's been perhaps the most public of the four of you in terms well, of talking about the Tupac case. And keep in mind, as time went on, whenever there was any media interest on something going on, and if Wayne was the lieutenant, he's the guy that they're going to go to because he's the guy that's going to do the interview, so to speak. In fact, I can think of a couple of times on this particular case where he was the guy that was quoted on a 
the Suge Knight revocation hearing that I testified at. So, yeah, that's that's not unusual. And and even over recent years, I've seen him interviewed as a representative more than once of Las Vegas Metro Police as it relates to this case. Well, and he would have access to the case file when he was working. Uh, I don't know if he has access to it now since he's retired, but yeah, he would have had some knowledge because I know whenever we did anything, if we went off on something and maybe there was going to be a question, we'd fill him in because he's a lieutenant. It's his job is to oversee everything going on. And he eventually, he has to attend meetings with staff and I'm sure those questions come up. So he's got to have some knowledge of it. This is a question from someone who wants to be anonymous. And it was something I was aware of before this question. It's in regards to Low MB. He was a rapper at Death Row Records. And the way Low MB describes September 7th, 1996, is he was a part of the entourage, but in front of Suge Knight and Tupac Shakur. And he says that Gaddafi, a.k.a. Yafu Fula, had told him that he saw the shooter, not the driver, but he got a good look at the shooter. And according to Low MB, in a videotape, or I should say in an interview on YouTube, he says that Gaddafi... Yafufula said that the shooter looked very similar to Low MB. And this questioner wonders if it's a situation where Gaddafi didn't want to say much to police, but said plenty in private to his personal circle. Were you ever aware of Gaddafi saying that the there was a light-skinned man who was the shooter. No. The only light-skinned man he told me about, and it would be on his interview, which apparently we everybody over. in the world has access to, he says it was the driver of the car. If, if in fact, it was the shooter, that's not what he told me. He, you know, and... This story you're telling here is the first time I've really heard this story that he said it was the shooter. I'd be curious, how long after the fact did this person, low MB, tell this story? In terms of him telling it, I would, I needed to go look at the date stamp, but it would have been within the last 10 years or so, but to hear him tell it when he heard it, it was pretty soon after the shooting. Right. That's my recollection. And that, you know, I would, I would guess that. So then the question is, did Yafufula deceive us intentionally or is low MB mistaken as to what he said? I, you know, I wasn't there for the conversation between the two of them. All I can say is that those are not the words that Yafufula used to me. And this anonymous person says that he believes that Mac and Perez were in that Cadillac 
meaning LAPD officers who were, I guess the term is rotten. Well, and I, the Mac and Perez are, I think, probably from the Rampart. Correct. David Mack and Raphael Perez. And that isn't the first time that their two names have come up related to this. As far as them being in that Cadillac, there's absolutely nothing to indicate that. Uh, There's no direct statements from anybody to say they were in it, that saw them in the car. Uh... Their names don't match any of the four common names that come out as to being in that car. I I don't know if it was... Now, I can't say if Mac and Prez weren't somehow tied to death row. I, you'd have to talk to some, you know, death row or LAPD, because I have no idea what their internal investigation revealed on that. That's, again, that's their, their file. I would have no knowledge of that, that kind of information wouldn't be given to us anyhow. But in terms of your investigation into Tupac's murder, did you ever become aware that David Mack or Rafael Perez were in town during the time of the shooting? We had heard that. It was never, we were never able to confirm that. Uh, because I can tell you that LAPD internal internal affairs had come and talked to me. I think I said that in one of these episodes. And their names weren't really the focus of that questioning as far as what LAPD people were in Las Vegas. It was another person. This question comes from someone I'm just going to call Mouse, who says, and this, this is the start of a series of questions regarding Orlando Anderson. If you watch the entire MGM video, you will notice that Orlando was wearing a jersey before the fight. And when you see the video of the person getting jumped, you didn't see the same jersey unless Orlando changed his clothes before the fight. Did you notice any anomaly in terms of Orlando's clothing that night uh, on the surveillance tape? No. Uh, I'd have to look at the video again. I just remember that there was a lot of things obstructed in that video because of the area, They're like a fake tree or a post or something. Because I remember seeing or Tupac Shakur. I remember seeing Suge Knight, I think Buntree. But there was a whole bunch of people come flying in there. And I just don't remember specifically on that. I can tell you that whoever broke up that fight, and I know Frank Alexander pulled Tupac Shakur off, and you know, obviously the video shows them all taken off through the casino. But I can tell you from what we were given from the officers at the MGM working the fight that night, that Orlando Anderson was the guy who got pummeled or was at the bottom of that dog pile and Orlando Anderson was in a segment of video where he's being talked to by Metro officers and MGM security and he's wearing that jersey. It's a tighter shot. Yeah and then there's also a segment of him walking through 
I don't remember if it was the casino or, you know, they had an area in the MGM where all the stores were at, you know, and they had a big like mall or whatever you want to call it, walking area. And I know that he was caught on video walking through there and he was wearing that jersey again. I've never seen anything where Orlando Anderson was wearing another shirt at the MGM during during the fight the beat down on tape or anything like that. This question from Shane also is about the surveillance, the CCTV video. There are reports that Orlando Anderson was seen on CCTV at a bar after the MGM fight around the time of the shooting. Any truth to that? No. Well, no one's ever come forward with it. Now, are, are they talking about a casino bar, a regular bar, or what? Because the version, this is that question. That's all that said. But I have seen questioning about whether Orlando was at a bar at the MGM Grand okay. after the fight with with surveillance video. I'm not sure if that's what Shane is referring to. I can tell you. Unless the MGM concealed it, which I, doesn't make any sense why they would, because the MGM provided all the video that we had from the MGM. They came to you with it. And they, you know, because once they kind of focused in on something, they were able to look for a particular person. Because you got to realize every casino is set up differently as far as their surveillance cameras. And if you don't know who you're looking for, sometimes it can be difficult to pick someone out. In this particular case, Orlando Anderson was wearing a very, to me, it was a distinctive jersey. It would have been helpful in finding him in a crowd where most people may be wearing dark clothing. And, you know, most surveillance video is not crystal clear, at least not back in 1996. In fact, if you look at the videos of the beatdown and all that, they aren't crystal clear. Now, the one of Orlando when he's being interviewed, it's, you can tell it's right. him for Indeed. sure. But you the... know, that that is for sure. But like, and then the video of Tupac and the crowd going through the casino. Well, you can tell it's Tupac and all, but that wasn't the best video. I mean, I've seen far better video than that as far as clarity. But you could tell who it was. So if... Orlando Anderson was at another bar in the MGM, and the MGM knew about it. I would have thought it would have been on the loop or whatever you want to call it. Because remember, that was VHS tape back then. Things weren't digitized then. And it would seem that since you see them tracking Tupac, you see them tracking the whole Pied Piper bit, and you see them on Orlando Anderson, it would seem that they would have tracked both individuals because well, it, it yeah, would seem that they would have. Keep in mind the one video I'm talking about where Orlando is walking down the walkway in the stores or whatever. The only reason that came up is they probably looked for it. It wasn't that... right. He was in the midst before, of the crowd. Before everything happened, why would they be focusing on this one guy? I think that came about because 
Here he is on the beatdown. Here he is being interviewed, and they're able to go through. And keep in mind also, cameras are moving. They're bouncing around. I don't remember how the MGMs was set up, but you know, you have dead spots too. Because I've had that happen where we were looking for someone and we couldn't find them. And we had, we knew who we were looking for in a casino. And it's either they weren't there, they were in a dead spot, or there were just so many people you couldn't pick them out because fight night in Las Vegas, there's a lot of people at the MGM. There's a whole lot of people. <laughs> so with all those cameras, it doesn't mean necessarily you're going to get a great shot. No, not unless you have something to help distinguish them. And Orlando Anderson's jersey definitely was a benefit. Now, here are a couple of more Orlando questions, both very similar, but I'm going to give them to you and let you figure out what's what. This questionnaire says, and his name is Keenan. RJ Bond posted on his YouTube channel a picture of an LVMPD document of the Tupac file. It's called LVMPD, Privilege Lock, and so on. This is supposed to be correspondence between LVMPD and Sunrise Hospital for Orlando's medical records. Does this establish an alibi for Orlando Anderson since he won his lawsuit against the estate and in depositions he made, he claimed he wasn't at the scene? If it, So that's one thing. And this Shane is asking, R.J. Bond recently released a hospital admission statement saying that Orlando was at the Las Vegas hospital after the MGM grand fight. So both of these questionnaires want to know, was Orlando at the hospital at the time when Tupac was killed? And were there, did you gather records of that? I don't know what records you're talking about. Uh, so I, I don't know anything about it. Is a the fact is Orlando Anderson. Well, I obviously didn't talk to him the night of the beatdown or anything because you didn't know who he was. Yeah, I didn't know who he was, but it, especially in the video where you see him talking to the officers, he looks none the worse for wear. One, I mean, he's not favoring an arm or a shoulder, he has no nicks or gouges or anything on him. His shirt isn't torn to pieces or anything like that. And he, in fact, declined any kind of police report that night. And before. his name was never taken, which we already talked about. Yeah, and unfortunately, his name was never taken. We didn't learn his name to that video until Tim Brennan told us. Tim Brennan from Compton PD gang Correct. unit. All right. So... This is kind of a related to the tag of one of those questioners. And this is from Anonymous, came via Instagram to me. In regards to Orlando Anderson, I found out Orlando was sued by Afini Shakur for the death of Tupac. She ultimately lost the case and Orlando countersued and won. Those court records, says this questioner, cannot be found or have been muffled in your research, have you ever come across those records or know what Orlando presented in court that would have uh, declared him innocent, not guilty? 
I can tell you it's very unlikely those court records would ever be made available unless someone leaked them. Uh, that's not an unusual occurrence. It happens almost daily, in the, at least in this country, where people have lawsuits, they settle out of court, and there's a uh, stipulation that no one talks about it, you know, to the media or anything, because you never hear how much was won or what the reasoning was. And you think about it, well, if you have that stipulation, then why are you going to make the records available? Because then you would be able to see in writing what was on or in type what was on there. So uh, I doubt anybody, we never had it, any documents. Uh, that would have been, well, let's see, he died in 98, probably in 97 when all that started. Was it in 97 when all that back and forth started with the lawsuit? Yes, I know for certain that in 98, after Orlando died, in my report for Vibe magazine, my sources were talking about it. Yeah. So that Keep in I, mind, about in, a civil, in a civil suit, you know, the Shakur estate probably sued Orlando Anderson in a civil suit. Keep in mind, in a civil suit, you only have to prove a preponderance of evidence. In a criminal matter, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a much stricter requirement. So, if the Shakur estate couldn't prove a preponderance of evidence that Orlando Anderson had anything to do with the shooting, then one can safely say you can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Orlando Anderson did anything to Tupac Shakur. Because if they can't get enough evidence for that, then how? Because civilly, they they have ways of acquiring things from a criminal investigation. You know, they're they're when there's a civil suit, you can bet they're getting any media interview, any court hearings or anything like that. And they're acquiring all that for their civil case too. Stopping you there, uh -huh. would, since you've said, since you've made that revelation that you knew who killed Tupac less than a year going into it, mm -hmm. would their case have had access to the same information that you had that led you to that conclusion? Probably not everything. Probably not everything. What does and, that mean? And everything that I have wouldn't have changed the civil outcome, I don't think. Unless, really? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I realize that you can probably use hearsay more in a civil case. You can't use hearsay in a criminal case. But... There was enough things being said. Keep in mind, in the early stages of our investigation, the number one person everybody was saying did it was Suge Knight. I sort of heard both Suge and Orlando. Well, Orlando tandem. was a close second. Suge was number one for the longest time. And then, you know, everything was really starting to heat up and, you know, Orlando Anderson was dumped out early on and it went from there. So eventually they would go back and forth. 
but Orlando would probably lead the way in the end as far as tips. You know, Keefe D was up in, he was probably the number three choice. And Keefe D, we'll say, is the uncle of Orlando. He was the number three choice starting when? It had been a few months after. It was, and the, the reason I say that is not so much that he was the trigger guy, but he was present. So keep in mind, if... if That's what the tips you, were saying. If you want to believe that there's four people in that car, okay, because we have witnesses that say they saw maybe two, sometimes four. You have witnesses that say the shooter fired out the driver's door window, and you have the other half of the witnesses saying the shooter fired out the rear passenger window. So if, if you were to go on the pretense that there were four people in that car that did that. Pretense or presumption? That four people were in the car. I, I'm not going to say yes or no. I know what was going on. I'm not going to spit it all out here. I'm not, that's not what I'm here for. What I'm saying is if there's four people in that car that conspired to kill Tupac Shakur, then guess what? Those four people can be charged just as if they were the shooter. And I think that's an important note when Keefe D starts making this confession because Keefe D, if you listen to his confession, and since you've sent it to me, I've listened to it pretty good, He's just one step shy of saying he pulled the trigger because he puts himself in the front. Well, it depends on which story it is. I've heard he's put his, himself in the back seat next to Orlando Anderson at one point. But then he puts himself in the front seat next to the driver. So one is, well, which was it? Was he in the front seat or the back seat? Then if he's in the front seat next to the driver, who is described as bitch-faced and fair-skinned, and the shooting arm is a darker-skinned arm. Well, you've got two witnesses saying the shooter fired out the driver's door window. Well, who's the likely person to fire out that window if it's not the driver, the guy in the front seat with him? And we'll certainly get to more questions about Keefe D that have come in a bit later, but I wanted to tie a bit of a bow on the area we're talking about now, in terms of what does it tell you that Afini Shakur did not win a civil case against Orlando Anderson? It tells me she had no evidence. And what does that tell you about what would have happened in a criminal trial? Well, I can tell you without, if you can't prove a preponderance of evidence and that you're far from proving a criminal case. And I've said it time and time again, there is no person from that night who was present at the scene during the shooting that has named the shooter or named who they saw in the car either by saying they saw them or by identifying them through the multiple photo lineups we had. Because I can tell you that I showed photo lineups to everybody that would look at them. And Orlando Anderson was a photo, in a photo lineup. 
Keithy D with his, was in a photo lineup. There was a multitude of people. And Frank Alexander, you know, who people, it depends on how people view him. And he never identified anybody. And you know, as well as anybody, that Orlando Anderson's picture was put in the paper and on the news how many times? He was in your Vibe article. There was a huge right, and, picture of him. And in my it, my story way back when, my original yeah. story when I interviewed you, his image was and in And as many times as Orlando Anderson's face was put out in the media, because there were photo lineups shown after that, and no one ever picked Orlando Anderson out of the lineup as being the shooter. Now, you can say, well, they never watched the news. I guess that's possible. But if there's someone who says they know all these players, well, then if they know Keith E.D., if they know Orlando Anderson, and they didn't pick him out, because I don't think these were all... Orlando Anderson wasn't a stranger to most people in this incident. And in fact, I think Keefe D says that him and Suge Knight hung out in the neighborhood as kids or whatever. They knew each other well. So do you believe Suge Knight when he says, I didn't recognize anybody, though Keefe D says Suge Knight looked right at him. Right, but he, I guess Suge Knight has said on a couple of occasions, he can't see. Well, I don't remember. Did he say that in the interview with us? I'm trying to remember the interview. I don't know that that ever came up that he said that. I know that there's been comments bad, said after the fact. Right, he now, has bad eyes. He has a driver's license, so now you have the argument of did he get his driver's license legitimately or he did an eye exam or not? I don't, I don't know. Cause I know from my driver's license, I've had to prove that I can see. Well, yeah, they usually have you look in that see. little machine right there by there and read the number letters or the whatever like that. So, and I'm nearsighted. So if I were, I would legitimately say with my vision, if I were sitting in Suge Knight's seat, I wouldn't, it'd be difficult for me to say for sure who was in that car, but if I wore my glasses, I'd know. Now, there's either this sentiment that the witnesses were uncomfortable with you all and didn't reveal that they knew a lot more than they were telling you. We know that's or a fact. We know that's a fact because no one ever... Frank Alexander didn't reveal about the episode at the MGM. The fight, the, the beatdown. Yeah. When you initially talked to him in his initial Correct. statement, he does not reference when you ask him specifically. Because Correct. in reading your witness statements, you ask everybody that night, did anything happen before without even knowing that it had? So, because there are people who are going to say, well, the police are lying about all this. Well, and... I've already said, what can I say? I have no I have no personal gain or any personal benefit out of lying about this. Uh, it's silly to think that we don't want to solve this case. 
why would you not want to, if anything, solving the Tupac Shakur murder would be a big kudo in your file, so to speak, or whatever, pat on the back, to cover it up, as people are saying now, well, look what's been going on for, what, 25 years? So, yeah, I, and I'm only speaking from my my involvement from 96 to 01. I have no idea what kind of information has been obtained since then, but I still can't believe that if they have substantial evidence to charge someone, they wouldn't do it. And Keefe D's confession alone is not enough to charge him. You got to be able to corroborate his story. From what I understand, his story has changed a little bit. So now you goes into which story do you believe? And I promised more into Keefe, but okay. uh, again, an anonymous listener says, I see the Tupac and Biggie case from a perspective. I believe this is more of a statement than a question. I believe it's all government related. So there is that thought that this is some kind of government conspiracy. Oh, like the government had them killed? Is that the gist of where I'm going with this? If you, if you, read, if you read between the lines, it, it, it was to the benefit of the government to have these young men killed. What? what? That seems to be the, the, the gist of the question. Okay, so now my question is, what was the benefit to the government? I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me, but what, I'll ask that question. What is the benefit? I don't know what the listener believes, but I have seen some folks say that because, and particularly in the case of Tupac, you know, with a mother who was a Black Panther, with Tupac also promoting issues, talking about police, talking about rights for people of color that that wasn't something that the government wanted to keep going. I'm saying that's what I've read. Well, I can tell you as far as the Las Vegas government, that's hogwash. There's nothing, there was nothing. Mike and I didn't even know who Tupac Shakur was the night we went out on that. So uh, I don't know where, where that's coming from. If they're alleging that another government entity had something to do with it. There was nothing to ever indicate that. I mean, it's sort of like the JFK assassination. How many twists and turns have there been over the decades on that case? And they persist. Oh, and they and they do. But that's, that's kind of the world we live in. Now, to have the conspiracy that people talk about, especially in the government, there's probably going to be a lot of people involved. And I can tell you from personal experience, it's hard for two people to keep their yaps shut. As you were talking about the conspiracy you know, regarding Tupac. Something like this, I would think there would be a few more than two. And people aren't good at keeping their yaps shut. When you have, If you have two people involved, the best thing to do is for the one person to kill the other person. So now there's only one person involved. So it, then it's on you to give it up because that was, that was a typical deal. If we had a couple people involved, you always go for the weak link. 
Someone's going to yap, and you can't tell me <laughs> that someone wouldn't have yapped in this if, if there was a weak link. And you shared similar sent- sentiments in talking about the whole Tupac is alive theory that somebody Oh, yeah. Have- I know people see someone that looks like him on the Navajo reservation or in Cuba or somewhere in Africa or Malaysia or whatever. I'm thinking the pictures I've seen do not look like him. All right. And then my next question would be, wouldn't it be nice if you could get that person that's in that picture to take his shirt off? Because Tupac Shakur was tatted up really well. And very, very, distinctive. very distinctive tattoos. And I can tell you that the person I saw at UMC being treated when he was still alive had all the tattoos. And the person at the autopsy had all the tattoos. I can't speak about the cremation because I wasn't involved in that. That would have been a Fini Shakur, and that you know she'd have been the one to talk to about that. And she's not around, but I think there's a brother or sister, stepbrother or half brother, half sister or someone. I'd be curious to see what their comment is on all that. Well, I did have someone send me a photo that looked very much like Tupac, and he sent that to me as proof. While you were investigating the the case, did you have fo- people send you photos? No, not while I was involved in it. I mean, yeah, you had people saying he was alive. And for the most part, it was because of... A song. You want to call it subliminal messages or songs or whatever, you know? And... You know, that's up to you if you want to believe it. I, As far as the song thing goes, and, and I'm not sure what angle they're going at, but, you know, these people record a lot of songs that are stuffed away and then released as time goes on. Especially and, Tupac, well, from what I Well, everybody hear. knows he was a prolific recorder. Well, what, there's, I think it was 200 plus Maybe it was 300 plus. I don't know. But there was a whole lot of songs that had never been released publicly because I know that became an issue for the Shakur estate with Death Row Records. Right. You, you, and you had mentioned in an earlier yeah. episode helping Afini Shakur, Tupac's mother, in finding some of that. Yes. Uh, those assets. Another question related to Orlando. Did you talk to family, friends of Orlando, and what was your perception? Did not talk to family, or at least I don't think anybody was family. You know, we attempted to talk to Keepy D. We talked to friends because I can't tell you what their names are. I'd have to look at the reports because there were a lot of nicknames involved in there. And a lot of them were people that had conversation with in Compton during the search warrant. Uh, No one ever said anything. You know, I think from what I remember, Orlando denied everything publicly through his lawyer. And to me directly. Interviews and all that. And granted, does that mean he didn't? Because 
he sat up on the stand in L.A. Superior Court and said Suge Knight was trying to help him when the videotape, I didn't even need, I, you know, I testified to impeach him, but the videotape says everything. And in fact, what was it? Not long after that, Orlando Anderson came out in the media and said he lied on the stand. So. Right. It was, in, it was curious in researching this case. I also found out that Dolores Tucker apparently testified supporting Suge Knight. And she had been a very loud detractor of Tupac's music. So that was a twist indeed. So they were really going all out. Another question as it relates, and this is from also from Instagram and from Death Row East. This question relates to after Detective Becker was off the case, but I'd like to get his thoughts on the ballistics match that Tim Brennan thought he had from the gun that was supposedly found a day after Baby Lane was murdered, found at an address linked to Corey Edwards, who was a friend of Orlando, it's my understanding. Tim Brennan claimed that the ballistics matched in the system and the gun was sent to Las Vegas for further testing. Results from Vegas claimed it wasn't a match. Is there a reason the gun wasn't tested a third time? Why was that gun later destroyed? And what's your take on all of this? Well, anything that happened after me, I can't really speak about per se. Now the gun... It would have been found while you were there. Right. I remember some guns being found and I remember some comparisons being made and they weren't matched. So that that's all I can answer to that. As Stop far as you right there, sorry. The uh-huh. guns that you said were found were any of them found in LA or these guns were found in Las Vegas? Can you give no, any these of the would provenance? all been from the California area, Southern California. So I guess the LA area because I I remember for some reason I remember Keefe D had a gun in his car during a traffic stop. I don't remember what. It, it might have been a different caliber, though. I just don't recall. So but these it, guns... It wasn't, it wasn't the weapon. Right. These guns were all that you're recalling were all found in L.A., nothing found in Las Vegas. Correct. All kept in L.A. and tested in L.A. initially, or how did that work? What would... It, well, here's how it would usually work, is the guns, if they found them, they'd impound them. They would probably do an initial examination because they would be able to acquire certain things from our ballistics, our firearms examiners. But to make it absolute, you should be sending the weapon to Las Vegas so they, our firearms experts, can do their thing. If the preliminary was that it was a match in California, okay, but once they actually did the examination, and remember a Glock from the way I remember, a Glock is a rather unique weapon as far as what shows up on a fired cartridge case and such. And How and so? All, I think it's the, the strike mark or the ejection mark. I, I don't remember. I just remember that there was a thing about Glocks that if an examiner could look at that and tell you pretty quickly this was a Glock. It was just something 
you know, I'm not a firearms examiner, so I can't give you the specifics. But I know of no time where in my tenure that there was a firearms positively identified. If there was a weapon positively identified after I left, I don't know about that in Las Vegas. I remember hearing about a possible match in California and that it turned up not to be the weapon when examining Las Vegas. And as far as what weapon the person's talking about that got destroyed, I, I don't know what weapon they're talking about. This uh, He's talking about the one that was supposedly found a day after Baby Lane, a.k.a. Orlando Anderson, was murdered. And okay. it was found at an address listed, linked to... That's the Corey one, Edwards connection. Correct. Right? Yeah. I have no idea why that weapon was destroyed. I can tell you that... And I don't remember if that's the weapon that we had looked at or not. I I just I I just don't remember because guess what if it was examined by our examiners there would be paper there would be a paper trail. Okay, because it's a bit confusing for me to understand in that I understood the gun was still in Los Angeles when Tim Brennan was saying that the ballistics matched and that okay. would have been in the aughts but if the gun was found a day after Baby Lane was murdered, that would have been in 1998, and that would have Correct. been during your tenure. Correct. So I don't understand if that was the gun, why was it still in Los Angeles? Well, if in fact it turned out that it was not our weapon, we'd give it back to Los Angeles. We don't just, we wouldn't keep, say, 20 Glock 40s get turned into us from around the country. Well, we're going to, re if those come back as not being the weapon, because if it's our, if it's our murder weapon, then we're going to keep it because now it's evidence. Good. But if it's not our murder weapon, we're going to give it back to the agency that started with it because it could later be found to be a weapon used in one of their capers. We aren't going to keep we aren't going to keep everybody's firearms for them. But it just doesn't. Again, just on the face of it, the gun is in Los Angeles. Correct. In the aughts, it apparently. I mean, who knows what happened in 1998? Seemingly, there would be some record of it if in 1998 you all got it and you all sent it back to to L.A. There but, should be a paper trail, yes. Exactly. but So it's discovered in the aughts by Tim Brennan and the task force that this looks very promising in terms of the ballistics. But it, wouldn't they, if there was a paper trail, I don't understand. These are the two things. I don't understand if it was never given to Las Vegas in the first place and the, only, the first time it was checked for ballistics was in the aughts. And I don't understand that if it was given to Las Vegas in 1998, then it's suddenly rediscovered in the aughts. So both things are terribly, I don't get it. Well, now, the story I relate to Tim Brennan and him finding a weapon when he was with the task force. Correct. 
I believe is when he, when Compton PD was dissolved and he went to work for the LA County Sheriff's Office. And my understanding is he discovered that, and you say after 2001, I don't know, I can't recall right. when, and that somehow it slipped through somebody's fingers and they did the comparison. So the story I heard in that time, because I wasn't involved with it, was that that in fact was not matched as the murder weapon. Now, what happened to that? I can't tell you where that weapon went from there because I wasn't involved with it. Gotcha. If it was destroyed, are they saying Las Vegas destroyed it or Los Angeles or who? Apparently, Las Vegas did after it was sent to them. But well, I can't, again, my why is it yeah. sent to them so late? Or was, if it well, was just discovered well, after because the way I understand the story is the firearm was in evidence in Los Angeles but it didn't reappear until after 2001 when Tim Brennan was reviewing and why is cases that? or something, something. Yeah. Well, so, or, or maybe he was reviewing, Biggie. maybe he was reviewing Glock 40s that were impounded. I don't know the whole details. He would be able to tell you. Right. But I have, then if that you're listening, came up. If you're listening, then, Tim so, Brennan, please tell me. I, I want to understand. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know because Tim Brennan would be your link he would, I think, be able to answer some of that. The other people that would have to answer that would be whoever was working the case then, because it wasn't right. me. So I, I gotcha. can't tell you what happened. All right. It, it's just, con it's confusing to me. Yes, it is. Whether, whether, whether the gun was found really and put into evidence in 1998, or it was somehow first discovered in the aughts. Well, now that the story I heard, and I don't remember it was 1998, but I remember the story I heard was that a weapon was impounded while I was still in homicide that I was never told about and then came to revelation in two, after 2001 via Tim Brennan. Okay. So maybe that's the weapon we're talking about. You got to realize after you sent in me stuff, I'm I'm learning there was all kinds of things that were being revealed in Los Angeles that no one cared to tell Las Vegas about. Because it would seem that would be a really good clue that would help somebody go to court. And I also will say that it all it seemed mighty, mighty, mighty suspicious that the gun would sh suddenly show up, even in 1998, just as Orlando passes away. That was another... I agree. But if... This weapon you're talking about is the one I'm thinking of. I did not know about it in 1998. This is the weapon that was sitting in an evidence room in Los Angeles until Tim Brennan discovered it and did his thing. So you got to realize, I doubt every Glock 40 that was ever impounded in California, the state of California was sent to Las Vegas because there are, um, I can't tell you how many, but there's a lot of Glock 40s were manufactured. Over Understood. The Understood. And, but the and, provenance of this particular Glock. Right. Right. I uh, No, I'm not arguing with you. I, 
I have no answer for it because if it's the gun I'm thinking of, I didn't know about it. Any firearm that I had knowledge of when I was in homicide was never confirmed to be the murder weapon. We never had someone come up and say, here's your murder weapon, and then we could run with it. Because, you know, people seem to think you can automatically trace a firearm to a person. That's not necessarily true. You know, one, gun registration comes into play. Two, you can trace to when it was manufactured and where it was manufactured. And then who it was sold or who, what gun store acquired it from, say, the manufacturer. Because, you know, Glock will make, say, 10,000 Glock 40s and X amount of them go to 5,000 other stores. So there will be a record that this Glock was given, sold to this store who, in fact, sold it. And then it would be a matter of going to that store and looking at their paperwork. because. Unless it's changed, ATF didn't get all that paperwork. The store fills out the federal firearms form and they maintain it. I don't know what their purge, I don't remember the purge date on it, but it was several years down the road. So you could go back and say, can you find this gun and, you know, who was it sold to or whatever. And you may be able to find it if that document's there. But if it's been purged, then you don't. Got you. It's not as it's not as simple as TV's made it look out. It never is. Question from Paul. Hi, Lena. The most credible witness to speak on the Tupac shooting is Michael Moore, the bodyguard. Again, I'm quoting here. He heard got him over Reggie Wright Jr.'s radio. This means the shooter was reporting back to Reggie. Michael stated this clearly on camera and was never questioned by police. Did you ever question Michael Moore in connection with Tupac Shakur's murder? And I should say, Michael Moore was a bodyguard. I don't recall that. Right way. Uh, I doubt it because I, I would think I'd have remembered at least the interview. I don't recall his name ever coming up as being anybody. At, at the time of the shooting. My next, my other question is, what interview are they talking about that he did? I'm sure it would have been a YouTube interview. Okay. It's probably something I haven't, I don't know what it is he said and when it was or anything like that. As far as the got him comment on the radio, well, Reggie Jr. would have had a portable radio, I'm assuming, because he was the head of security for death row. There were multiple multiple people at the club for security, so you figure at least a couple of them would have had portable radios, because if they didn't, then why would Reggie have one? So who else heard the comment on the radio? Because... If it came over his radio, unless he's carrying two, which there's never been any indication that he carried two different radios, someone else should have heard that comment. And I haven't heard where anybody else has said that. He also says, I'm 100% sure Reggie arranged both murders, Tupac and Biggie. 
That is what the evidence points to, and that's what Suge Knight himself has stated. So to ask you, did any evidence point to Reggie Wright as being the one who arranged the murders of Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls? There was no evidence. Uh, I know the person mentioned that their evidence showed or proved that, and I'm thinking, what what evidence is that person talking about? I just I just don't know what because he's he's stating there's evidence. I'm just curious what is the evidence? There was nothing that ever even in the rumor mill that said he hired people to come do this. You know, there was always the rumor about East Coast, West Coast stuff, but nothing as far as Reggie. And if Suge said Reggie had him had him both killed, well, Reggie's or Suge's done how many interviews and how many different stories about anything? I mean, I know one time he said Tupac was alive in one of his interviews. Uh, he's in our interview. He didn't recognize anybody, but yet in the other interviews, he kind of indicates he knows who did it. So, which which story again is the real story? And in the interview that he did with me, he suggested it was Orlando Anderson. Yeah, and it was was he suggesting or was he saying it was him? I I don't remember. In the interview with me, when I asked him about who killed, and I asked him if he did, you know, mentioning that a lot of people thought that he did it, and then he said, it's in that those papers that you got, basically the affidavit that points to Orlando Anderson. Well, and we know about the affidavit, so we, we aren't going to sit and beat that up again as far as what's what. That's... The affidavit, there's no persons that have ever said anything. I mean, on record, I mean, there's been a lot of confidential informants, but there's been nobody... Identified. Yeah, that has been identified as saying this. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what information they're talking about, so... Not something that you recall from the investigation. No. And moving through this, and this is more of a statement than a question, I believe the Pattons, who confessed in 1998, did the hit. The body language of Danny Patton when questioned by, and these are Paul's word, words, corrupt cop Kading. He's referencing Greg Kading. Was, is very telling, not natural at all. They stated back in 98, it was Reggie who arranged the hit. So stopping there, and, and I will say that I'm sure Greg Kading doesn't appreciate the the descriptor of corrupt cop. Well, no, I'm sure he doesn't. And listening to the comment or question, the way I understand it is that Kading talk to these guys in 98, which I'm thinking that's probably not what is meant because no. I don't think Kading comes into the picture till later on in the 2009, eight, somewhere in there when he's on a task force. Right. He the, Well, the, the questioner says, I believe the Pattons who confessed in 90, 1998 right. did the hit. He's not saying that 
Greg Kading. Okay. And are they from Compton? Do you know? From the LBC. The who? The LBC. <laughs> Long Beach Compton. Long Beach Compton. The, the LBC. Okay. Yeah. You see, you're talking to someone who's ignorant to all the stuff over there. Okay. Hmm. Well, like I said, that's news, and I'd be curious to see the interview where they confess. Well, I, I'll ask Paul to send me a link. When Michael Moore came out with his statement, he did not even know the patents had accused Reggie years back. Everything points to him. He disarmed security. He intimidated Frank. He celebrated the deaths of Russell, Russell Poole, Frank Alexander, and Michael Moore. So where, I'm not saying he didn't celebrate, I'm just saying is there something that shows that he's celebrating this, all these deaths? One, uh, we know about the disarming security because Frank, in one of his statements, says that Reggie and Suge told him not to be armed. Yet, he told you that. Directly. Yeah, yet, I think later on there's a story that comes out where Frank left his sidearm or pistol in a another he car in book. and he took a different car for the the motorcade so yeah and uh that story had been around forever and ever and that's where the suge knight was always top on the hit parade early on was that suge knight had had it something to do with it and that's probably where reggie wright jr comes in because you know they were joined at the hip, so to speak, back in those days. They were childhood friends as well. Yeah, as well. so I guess, where where are the facts to all this? Oh, finally, Kevin Hackey at one point publicly stated Reggie was involved and then backed off after threats on his life. Are you aware of any of that? Who who threatened Kevin Hackey's life? I know you you don't unless you know personally. You're just going by what they're asking you. This is I'm yeah. reading a question. I can tell you. Here's what I know of Kevin Hackey. He was a Compton School Police officer for a while. How it was presented to me, he may have had some affiliation with Death Row Records, be it security or whatever. Uh, his name did not come up as security at the Club 662 or the motorcade, but he did come up at the hospital while Tupac was still alive when he pranced in there saying he was an FBI agent to law enforcement. And that information was forwarded to law enforcement because the guy is identifying himself as an FBI agent, and we know, in fact, he wasn't. Then it came out later on that uh, Scuttle was that he was an FBI informant or an FBI snitch. So I tend to believe that more than anything. I don't, you know, Kevin Hackey appeared to be someone that wanted to make himself more important in the case. That's how things came out. What I, makes you say that? Well, just the way he did it. He goes prancing in there wanting to be, I'm an FBI agent. You know, I'm working this and, uh, you know, 
He's trying to be important. He wants to be an F. He's trying to pass off as an FBI agent, which is, to me is kind of ignorant because that's going to be easy to prove. Uh, if Frank Alexander were alive, he could probably tell you more because I know it seems to me Kevin Hackey's name came up with Frank. Uh, but I know his name had come up with some sort of ties with death row. But I don't recall anybody that ever had anything positive to say about Kevin Hackey. Be it from death row or affiliated with this thing. And I, know, I don't remember hearing anything positive about him as a Compton school policeman. So, so you investigated that part of it? Well, I looked into Kevin Hackey and I realized he was just full of shit. So, you know, that was his name wasn't coming up in any other ways. So, ouch. That's all you can do. Well, he did say in an interview that if Suge and Tupac had been white, the highways would have been shut down after the shooting. And he said there would have been 50 million helicopters up. Okay. Well, I can, I can tell you from personal experience that any white murder victim I ever had, we didn't shut down the streets of Las Vegas. I don't know of any murder white, black, brown, whatever you want to call them, the, the streets of Las Vegas were shut down. He's obviously a, a TV aficionado because it apparently seems like it's easy to do on TV. He's, he's never had to shut down a metropolitan area before. Uh, I wonder if he's ever shut down a school in Compton before, but... Ouch. And as far as 50 million helicopters, well, I can tell you, I think back then we might have had three helicopters. So he's just talking out his ass, throwing shit out to just to see if it'll stick on the wall. Uh, I don't remember if a helicopter was up and running that night. Keep in mind, you have, we would have, if we were lucky, one helicopter up per shift because those guys have a certain work. Schedule, they can only fly so much. You'd have to talk to a helicopter pilot. They could give you all the particulars. I don't recall. And keep in mind, when I got to the scene, what, an hour and a half or so later, this is well after, because Tupac wasn't there. He was already at the hospital. So we're, we're just doing the investigative part of it. And the Las Vegas Strip, you got a lot of high-rise buildings, so helicopters aren't going to be right down. They aren't going to be flying down in the corridor unless it's absolutely needed. Uh, because of the helic, because of the airport, they ha I know they have certain things they have to do as far as airspace and all. But again, they'd be the ones to explain all that to you. Uh, but no. You got to realize when I got there, we were running with a white Lincoln Town car and a white Cadillac, potentially. So, so, and that's an hour and a half later. So, 
I think when he's referencing these things that the highway would have been shut down or, or there would have been 50 million helicopters up, he's referencing what he perceives to be racism inside law enforcement. And he even says in this particular interview that he's heard the word, the N-word used in reference to people of color by okay. law enforcement. And so... I can't speak for other people. Apparently, I'm supposed to. I would challenge him to tell me when I ever use the N-word, if he ever, if that were to be part of the conversation. I don't know that it is. I'm just saying I can't answer for other people other than myself and those that were working the case at the time, and that did not happen. If Kevin Hackey wants to make it a racist issue, well then he's a racist that's trying to make it a racist issue. So be it. That had nothing to do with it. Tupac Shakur is black. Okay. I worked, I don't know how many murders where I had black victims. We didn't do anything less on this case. We didn't do anything more. We did what we could with what we had. If we did anything more is we went out on an attempt murder case instead of a murder because that was unusual for us. Right. So I guess if you wanted to go that way, but white, white or black, it has nothing to do with anything. That's Kevin Hackey's talking out his ass. Simple as that. I have another, this is an anonymous questioner asking about Kevin Hackey basically saying that you should try and revisit some documents he made mention of as to where he said he was offered a quarter of a million dollars for documents. He said that had the name of FBI and ATF agents that were part of the motorcade when Tupac was shot. And in another interview, he stated he saw some photos, footage of Tupac being shot in real time. So let me just ask you in this sense, though, were you ever aware of FBI or ATF agents being in the motorcade when Tupac was shot? No, no one, no one ever told us that. It's the, the, I know after the fact, when we were in LA for some stuff that we had learned the FBI was investigating death row, but that was well after the fact. Uh, there was never any indication that the FBI or ATF was in the motorcade. No one ever said anything about the FBI or ATF videotaping anything at the time. Because uh, he's talking about photos and footage right. of Tupac. And being shot I'd be curious time. what the photos are. Now, I'm not saying it happened. I know that Federal agencies have done investigations where local authorities don't know what's going on. Right. So you I mean, that, that kind of stuff really could happen. If it did, I would suspect you'd have heard of, about it by now from the FBI or ATF. Uh, but then my question is, how does Kevin Hackey know this? He's not an FBI agent. We know that. If he was an FBI snitch, they aren't going to tell the snitch that. So, and I'd be curious, <laughs> as, he, 
has he confronted the FBI or ATF about this? I'd be curious because it seems a little bizarre. Okay. Anything you'd like to add about Kevin Hackey? And I, again, I, I will say this, though. In terms of race and policing, that has been an issue. I understand that that has been an issue. All I can say from our point of view is race had nothing to do with our investigation. I'm not going to sit here and try to answer for everybody in the law enforcement world as far as whatever questions come up about race. That I'm not here to answer that. I'm not the expert on it. All I can do is tell you from what we did the night of the shooting through the investigation until my involvement ended, that race had no bearing whatsoever. End of story. There's not there's really nothing else I can say. On J Mix's channel is a video interview with an Hollywood agent. This is the next question. In that interview, he said that Suge Knight told him bodyguards who were working the fight were the trigger men. On YouTube, there's footage of Frank Alexander. Tupac was a young kid and Suge Knight after a fight with a man behind them that m resembles Malcolm Patton. So the name Patton comes up again. Mm -hmm. Question to you is... Again, more specifically, whatever you'd like to answer. Did you know of any bodyguards being implicated in the murder when you were investigating it? No. Uh, Frank Alexander was never implicated in it. And I can tell you from talking to him multiple times, that, that would be absurd. I mean, him and Tupac were... Uh, well, literally, I guess, sort of like brothers, family, because Frank could talk about things he did with Tupac because he was his bodyguard. Either when Tupac's filming a movie or whatever he was doing, he was around. I mean, he had nothing but good things to say about Tupac. As far as other bodyguards, well, the only other bodyguard stories that come out are obviously that someone chased the Cadillac. So that isn't got anything to do with bodyguards wanting to kill Tupac. Uh, as far as at the fight, if the bodyguards were wanting to do anything, well, th there's no evidence of that. I'd be curious what evidence is there other than hearsay uh, directed at this kind of information. Okay, moving on to Ashley. She says, and I'm quoting her question, in episode three, part two, Mr. Becker mentions attempting to interview Keefe D while Keefe was in federal custody. Was this in 1997? She references an article in which Keefe D claims he told the FBI that Suge Knight was responsible for the murder. So... I I can say that the FBI never passed on that information if he did say that. I can say that I've never heard that story that he passed that on. And I believe it was 97. 
Let's see, Shug's revocation hearing was in February of 97. So I think that was, it. well, and I'm not saying it was well after the revocation hearing. I just remember we were in L.A. If it was late part of 96, but I think it was probably 97. It would be somewhere in a report when, when it happened. So I can't give you a specific date. I just don't, I just don't remember. I just remember that KPD was in federal custody, so. And was that the only time you attempted to interview him? That's the only time we could find him. What are the LVMPD's thoughts on KPD's confession? Did LVMPD talk to Dwayne KPD Davis after he made his confession? And again, I know kind of the answer about this from Question from Keenan, but take it away. I, I can't answer whether Metro detectives talked to KPD after his confession or not, because I wasn't in homicide, so I don't know. I have no clue what happened after December 2001. Uh, what do I think of his confession? I think it's an interesting confession. I think there's probably a lot of truths in there. There are some other question marks, because from what I've heard of confessions, there's some variations in the confession. Uh, I think one thing that Keefe D does, well, he says he's next door. I think there's an interview where he says he's sitting next to Orlando, which would mean in the back seat. But then he says he was in the front passenger seat. And the question that arises by that confession, putting himself in the front passenger seat, is he's putting him in position to be the shooter. Because if you remember, out of our, our interviews, at least half of them of that night that were on the side to see the shooter stick his arm out, the dark arm shooting, you know, with the handgun shooting. Two of them say the shooter's arm came out the driver's door window. And it was a dark-skinned arm. And if you believe Yafufula, the driver was a fair-skinned black male. So that doesn't matter. It wouldn't be the driver. So the next logical person is the person sitting in the front passenger seat. Granted, you got two other witnesses that say the arm came out the rear window behind the driver. So now you've got two different versions, and which one do you want to believe? You know? But I, I do not know if Metro ever went and talked to him or not. You were gone by that I, I was gone five years, I think. I think Craig, uh, Greg Kading, since he's involved in this, maybe he'd have some knowledge as to what happened. Okay, a couple more regarding Keefe D. One is a statement, and again, I'm going to quote these and have you respond. Okay. After the 2009 Keefe D confession, that's what they say, 2009, why did LVMPD not work with LAPD on a federal task force to, in help, to help investigate and round up the remaining people who had a part in the Tupac murder? 
For example, Terrence Brown, the driver who didn't die until 2015, says this questioner, or Zip, who was an accessory and also an accessory and died in 2012. And I will say these are all quotes in okay. terms of the descriptors. I can't say. You're talking 2009 now. I think that's the year we're using for this. Again, now we're talking eight years after I left. So I don't I don't know what happened. I don't know if Las Vegas was part of that task force. Were they invited by the LAPD or anything? Because you got to remember, you don't just go barging in and invite yourself into a task force. Well, my understanding is the purpose of the task force originally was just dealing with the murder of Biggie. And then well, it, there was some mission creep into that, Tupac. That's what makes sense, more sense, because why is LAPD working the Tupac killing since they can't prosecute the people who did it? It has to be prosecuted in, in Clark County, Nevada, which is Las Vegas, unless the feds do some sort of federal charges. So well, I understand that the feds were involved in the task yeah, force. Yeah, but... but feds can be involved in task force because here's the nice thing about the feds. They have a lot of resources. They got money coming out their ears. They can fund different things. They can. It's a lot easier for the feds to do certain things electronically than local authorities, too. So they may not always admit it, but they do. So I, I don't know. I can't answer if Las Vegas ever worked the task force, why they didn't, ta uh, you'd have to talk to either, well, Kading would have been in the task force then, so that'd be a good question for him. In charge of it. And then you'd have to talk to Las Vegas as far as if they were involved or not. I don't, I don't know. And I'm not sure that it ever has been established that Zip was an accessory. Well, and you know, there's a funny word there because I know they're talking about Terrence Brown and all. Keep in mind, on the assumption that all this information is correct, and I'm not saying it's false, I'm not saying it's true, because I don't want to get into that. Every person that was in that car could be charged with murder. They conspired to do it. That you, I find it hard to believe that everybody in that car didn't know what was going to happen. Okay. Yes, the shooter, the guy who actually pulls the trigger is the main squeeze, so to speak, on this. But everybody else involved in this could be charged with murder. Keith E.D. But the thing is, his confession alone doesn't fly without being able to corroborate it. And I don't know if Las Vegas has anything new to corroborate that or not. Next question goes into a couple of things referencing Russell Poole. And Russell Poole, who I met, met his family, was one of the investigators on the investigation of the Notorious B.I.G. This question is it's from Shane. It's asking, how long did you work the Tupac case for, and did you have any resistance in-house whilst trying to investigate similar to Russell Poole and LAPD? I worked the Tupac case from the night of the shooting, so September 7th, 1996, till I left. I want to say it was like December 14th of 2001 is when I left 
because I got promoted. So I was in the case for the length of that time. Kevin Manning was my sergeant the whole time then. Mike Franks was my partner up until a year before that. So, and then he retired. We never had any kickback or trying to rein us in or anything from the department. Never had any politicians talk to us about it, this. I mean, the city of Las Vegas, was Oscar Goodman the mayor back then? I don't remember who it was, but none of those people ever talked to us about this. It, uh, I know there's been a lot said about the image of Las Vegas. I says, well, it seems to me not solving the case would hurt the image greater than, you know, solving it. To me, solving the case is going to be a better image booster. So there was nothing. I, I've heard the stories about Russell Poole. In fact, I think Russell Poole has quoted me as saying something. And I'll tell you right now, that's a down and out lie. I did not tell Russell Poole those words. If that's if he actually said in the story that I told him there was political people trying to get us to shut up or do whatever, that did not happen. My involvement or time with Russell Poole was actually very limited. He came to Las Vegas with, I believe it was Fred Miller. His partner. His, yeah, I don't know if they were partners. They were a part of that RHD thing, Robbery Homicide Division. Homicide. My understanding, he was yeah. his partner for the investigation. I thought there was another detective, and I've mentioned before the name Ito comes up, but I'm not sure if that was who the detective was or I'm throwing out Judge well, Ito from the OJ case. So. Let me just say that I interviewed, and I only know this from refreshing my memory by looking at the interviews that I did with a Ron Ito, if memory serves, in New York City. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was interviewing the mother of the notorious B.I.G., and there were four detectives that I caught up with in in the NYC in Manhattan. I interviewed them, and one of them was Detective Ito. Yeah, so he was on the case. I just know that they were there because it was, I think it was after the Biggie shooting. They came over. I'm sure we must have made some copies of something for them. I. I find it hard to believe the entire case file was made for him because that would have taken forever. Uh, but I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm just saying I sure didn't do it because I wouldn't. I don't remember ever sitting by a copying machine making copies of anything except for the district attorney's office. Uh, I remember talking to him in oh, Fred Miller. So stopping you, stopping you there. Mm-hmm. Did you ever make copies for the district attorney's office of the Tupac case file? No, not in Las Vegas because we weren't submitting a case. You I thought so, but yeah, I just you wanted to you make sure. You wouldn't make a copy of a case unless you were submitting it to the district attorney because, one, they have no use for it unless they're going to go forward with it. If they wanted to see, if they had a question about something, they could come and we had DAs come into the office all the time to talk going over cases, but so... I thought that was the case, but I just wanted yeah, to Yeah, no, sure. we... Not while I was in there, we didn't. Uh, so my conversation with Russ Poole was 10 to 15 minutes. That was about all I had with him. There would, I'm not saying that was the only time he was there, because I know I'm 
pretty sure he went back in the lieutenant's office at one point, and maybe they went in the conference room or something, but there was no major conversation whatsoever about the powers that be trying to influence us on what we did or didn't do. All right, because a continuation of this question from Shane is, Russell Poole stated, and I'm paraphrasing, the only reason cases like this don't get solved is because they don't want to be solved. And again, I'm quoting, now a lot of people do discredit the idea that racism was a factor in this case, and I don't know what to believe myself. However, what is the justification then? A celebrity, a celebrity being shot in front of several witnesses in one of the world's premier light life vacation districts doesn't go unsolved without some lack of a better term, and it's an F-bomb, some effery being involved. Now, I'm sure the answer to this question will be politics as it has been for the past 25 years, but this only galvanizes certain ideas and theories such as racism, et cetera, et cetera. LVMPD are not disproving anything by continuing to dismiss these ideas instead of debunking them. Cases are solved based on facts, and the fact is, as of October 2021, this case is still unsolved, just as it was 25 years ago. Why? And before I provide plenty of time for you to answer that, and you did answer it previously, as we've been going, I think that question gives you an idea of why I have brought up race in this podcast, because it's a topic that seems to be just beneath the surface for mm -hmm. listeners, for other folks that I have seen reporting on this story. So how would you like to respond to that? Do you need me to break it down any further? Let me, let me try and answer gist. it, and then maybe if I forget something, you can refresh my memory, because it was a long question. Well, first of all, and I've said it before today, race had nothing to do with it, all right? Black male had nothing to do with anything. If it did, then every black male murder I ever had should have never been solved, Correct. Well, I've got a bunch of black murder victims where we put people in prison for, for their killing. So that, I can't answer it anymore. I've already commented it till I'm blue in the face. Race had nothing to do with it because he's a celebrity. So what are, is the question, because he's a celebrity, he should be treated better than the common citizen? I think his gist is saying it's such a note and I'll, 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 let me just direct quote him instead okay. of thinking what he's saying. A celebrity being shot in front of several witnesses in one of the world's premier nightlife vacation districts doesn't go unsolved without some, for lack of a better term, effery and there's right. some other vowels and a consonant and a consonant put in there being involved. Okay. So First, it, it, the statement is that's just not possible for that to happen all right. unless um, so something's going on. So tell me why here. it's not possible because, and I'll, th I'll throw out why it's possible from my perspective. Okay, yes, he's a celebrity. Yes, he was shot. He wasn't killed at that time, but he was shot. 
in Las Vegas on the street. You say all these witnesses, well, please tell me who these other witnesses are that you may be presenting because the witnesses that we were able to locate None of those witnesses said they could identify anybody other than one guy, Yafu Fula, said he might be able to identify the driver. None of the other witnesses could I, said they could identify anybody. And in fact, again, I'll say it, none of the witnesses who were shown photo lineups of potential shooters ever identified anybody. And that would include Orlando Anderson, who was thrown all over the news and the newspapers and magazines. And all of these witnesses saw Orlando Anderson at one time or another on in the media. And yet when they saw a photo lineup with his picture in it, they never picked him. So that's where I'm saying, where are all these witnesses that supposedly saw what happened can name who did it? Uh, to this day, I have not heard of those people other than Keithy D's confession. Which happened after you were on the Well, case. yeah, it was substantially after. And the problem with that is that's a confession of a murderer, basically. And it has to be corroborated. This question comes from Aaron. He says, and I'm quoting, I personally believe there's a lot of information you guys have in regards to this case that hasn't been released yet publicly, and you know who's responsible, and more importantly, it remo would remove this whole Orlando Anderson theory. Did you purposefully distance yourself yourselves because you were afraid of a Russell Poole-type backlash towards yourself and from the people involved in the murder if you pressed harder? I'm not sure I understand that. Uh, did you not want to go hard in we the We did nothing. We did, we did nothing to try and disassociate ourselves from this case. We did nothing to try to... Distance yourself? Distance ourselves from anybody involved in this case. The fact is, we would have loved to have been able to have someone that we could have filed on to prosecute the case because, well, and I guess it's not necessarily true because even if you filed and successfully prosecuted someone, there'd still be doubt. Shoot, O.J. Simpson, there's up and down on O.J. Simpson for, what was that, 94, 95 when he was acquitted? And you've got both sides of the coin on that. Well, it would happen, it would have happened here too. I mean, look at what's going on now. The guy is supposedly alive and roaming around in Navajo land. Uh, everything that was just said there is not factual. There's, there's no, I don't know where the information comes from. I could care less about whatever Russell Poole was doing because I'm not responsible for whether the Los Angeles Police Department is questionable or not. That's a Los Angeles Police Department problem. If Russ Poole had a problem with some questionable cops in Los Angeles, Russell Poole, that's something he's got to address. That's, well, it has nothing to do away, with our case, you know. put it that way. I think his case was more originally, anyhow, for the Biggie shooting. That's how right. he originally got into it. 
And because Biggie and Tupac, they kind of intermingled, is if Russell Poole was saying we were corrupt, I never heard that. But and as you know, Russell Poole passed away. But yeah, I do know I, that. I, I, and again, I don't want to put words in Aaron's mouth, but my take on what he's saying is Russell Poole. It didn't do well for his career, the way he pushed, oh, well. the way he, his approach of the investigation. So Aaron's asking, did you not want to go hard in the paint? Okay. Did you want to be more careful you. because you saw what happened to Russell no, Poole? That, 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 that thought never crossed my mind of anything solving the case may have helped my career. If Russell Bull had solved the Well, no, case. I'm just or saying from my it. perspective, because I think the question was, did I look at it like well, Russell Poole by doing whatever kind of shot himself in the foot with the department? So, no, I think if, if we could have arrested someone way back when, if anything, it would have helped my career, I think. I think it would have helped anybody's. You're solving the Tupac Shakur murder by not being able to arrest someone doesn't help you in any way, shape, or form. It certainly doesn't help your career. I mean, nothing. I I didn't progress in the department because of anything to do with the Tupac Shakur case. All right. I was in homicide for five more years after he was shot. And I was a policeman for another 10 years as a police sergeant. My promotion to police sergeant had absolutely nothing to do with this case, good, bad, or indifferent. It didn't come up in any way through the testing process. Uh, so, no, I, I understand. I've heard the stories that Russell Poole and the department, there were sour grapes or, you know, there was a problem there. I says, that's between them, Russell Poole, and whoever, and the LAPD. I, that's, that's out of my realm. I have no bearing to do with that. And Las Vegas, I never had a person come up and tell me you should just file this away. Fact is, the only people that talked about this case were me, Mike Franks, Kevin Manning, and whoever a lieutenant happened to be at the time. So I didn't have deputy chiefs coming down to me, pressuring me, captains, assistant sheriffs. The sheriff certainly didn't. I never had a conversation with any of those people about this case. Now we have a batch of questions that are dealing with Danny Patton and Malcolm Patton. Okay. And I will begin with this one. What is your opinion about the confession letter written by Danny and Malcolm Patton in which they allege little half-dead Donald Dwayne Smith shot Tupac and that the head of security for death row, Reggie Wright Jr., provided them with a location where Tupac and Suge Knight were going to be. Did you ever hear any of the above? I don't know anything about the letter. I'd be curious to see the letter myself. I don't 
I don't recall any letter like that, so I, I can't really answer it, I guess. This is another one in a similar vein. It, I know it says, I know Las Vegas Metro received a confession letter. Was there an investigation into any of the people named Lil Half Dead, Smith, Malcolm Patton, Danny Patton? So I guess the answer would be the same for that. Well, yeah, because did, did someone in Las Vegas receive a confession letter? I don't know. Not, I don't recall. Not during a, your. I don't recall your... a confession letter. Uh, if something was obtained after the fact, I, I can't answer that. During your time as part of the investigative team, do you recall getting any confession letters? I don't recall anything like that. A confession, I'm trying to think the closest thing we had to a confession was that phone call where some guy claimed to be P. Diddy when P. I Diddy. told you about early on. I don't remember any other confession where a person names themselves. You know, I guess some people would say the Compton search warrant. But that was all informant information, so. Can you confirm if any of the following names were in Vegas the night of the Tupac shooting? So we'll go one by one. Okay. Donald Lil Half Dead Smith. Donald Lil Half Dead Smith. I don't recall it. I'm not saying he wasn't. I just, like I said, there's so many. The little half dead was probably what was going through my head, if anything, because we had so many monikers in that. So I don't recall that name. Malcolm Patton. Malcolm Patton? I don't know. I don't know. Danny Patton. Don't know. Kevin Gaines. Kevin Gaines, wasn't he an LAPD officer? Okay. Who was shot? He got shot in a was he it killed. a Liga thing? Something Correct. to do with Sharita uh, Knight. Wasn't there some sort of affair or something I, going on? I yeah. understand they had a relationship. I don't remember. The only I can tell you, and maybe there's going to be more names, but because we're talking Kevin be. Gaines and LAPD, I can tell you that the only there was only one name that came up that could be identified as an LAPD officer. And in fact, when LAPD Internal Affairs came over and I talked to them, I gave them that name, but we couldn't even confirm for sure that that person was there. And Kevin Liga wasn't one, wasn't that name. Or Kevin Gaines. Or Kevin Gaines. Liga's the other guy. Okay. I believe it was Frank Liga yeah. who shot him, who was also LAPD. Sharitha Knight. I believe Sharitha Knight was there. She was there the yeah. night of the Tupac Well, show. she was in Las Vegas, I think. I don't remember. The, the name rings a bell, but she, was, she, she, was doesn't, she doesn't fit into the motorcade or the club. I don't know why the name, and maybe I'm thinking of after the fact, because I know Sharitha Knight's name came up multiple times. She was married to Shug. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. I don't recall if she was in town. I just remember the name. So I'm, I guess I could be just correlating her name to that because I know 
her name came up on an episode, some incident. Oh, Lordy. Something in some suburb of L.A. Is there an Encino? Well, is there an Encino? That's the valley. That, that's in L.A. Valley? Yes. Okay, I remember we Definitely were looking at something to do with in Encino and Sharitha Knight, but I don't remember what all that was. I just don't but recall it. Possibly she was there the night of the Tupac shooting. Possibly. I just I don't recall right off the bat. Like I said, I might be hitting on Sharitha Knight because of other stuff. Her name gotcha. didn't come up as anybody related to this incident, though. Right, so just perhaps coincidentally, because yeah. I also understand that Suge's parents were in Las Vegas yeah, that night as well. There were a lot house. of people that were there, and I'm just trying to remember. But it's just like Suge's parents. They weren't in any way insinuated that they had anything to do with anything. Right. So. There's another actress, I'm just not remembering her name right now, that was also there, Rafael Perez. Rafael Perez, he's one of them Rampart guys. His name came up. There was a lot of looking into him, and we could never verify that he was there. That night. I, actually, one of the things I discovered in the process of doing research for this podcast was that Denzel Washington based his portrayal of a dirty cop on Rafael Perez, and he won an Oscar for it. And right now, the name of the movie's... Was that... Uh, I saw it. The Training Day? Training Day. He was a... I just... I remember who was the guy that was in... Franco, maybe, was his co-star? I remember there was a movie. He was a... Dre is in it. Yeah, but Denzel Washington played like a detective. They were always in the gang area. He had a girlfriend, and... There, I think there was a white officer he was training. Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, that's it. I'm looking at the face right. and I'm trying to put it in. Ethan Hawke, that's the movie I'm thinking of, if that's the one they're right. talking about. Right, Training Day. Yeah. Correct. And, okay. and that's, I just found out in researching this podcast that Denzel used Rafael Perez. Oh, really? As a, well, that's interesting. <laughs> kind of model to base it on. I thought that was quite fascinating. Uh, the other kind of sidebar was that one of the original reports coming out of the Washington Post about Tupac's killing was written by Malcolm Gladwell. I, he's a well, I he's remember. a well-known author who's written a lot of other things since then, but he was writing for the Washington Post at the time. David Mack, was he, getting back to the question, was he there? Perez and Mack were the two names everybody seemed to be interested in then because of the Rampart thing and all. And there was nothing that could be produced to prove that they were in Las Vegas at the time. And my understanding, you know, he did go to prison for the bank robbery. Yeah, that was all part of that L.A. mess, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. And apparently he was good friends with Raphael. Yeah. And I just found out through research that now he works in green energy. David Mack does? Really? Yep. That's <laughs> okay. according to according to my research. I didn't talk to him though, but that's yeah. apparently what's uh, a credible source is saying. And this was interesting the, to be included in the question, asking if Greg Kading was there 
in Las Vegas the night of Tupac shooting. First time I ever heard Greg Kading's name is when you got a hold of me to start this and you started producing all this stuff. Because I didn't know Greg Kading was doing books or movies or anything. And I've since learned Greg Kading's quite the name as far as everything going on and that he was originally involved in the Biggie thing and then it kind of morphed into the Tupac thing. But not there as far as no, you know the night his is name never Tupac. came up. Was Foxy Brown's name ever brought up in to the Tupac investigation I, as somebody you might have wanted to talk to because she was, and I had heard this as well, supposedly present when Zip handed over the Glock to Keefe D? I, have, I just don't recall Foxy Brown. That's, that's a unique name. So, uh, And then you're correlating it with if Zip actually handed this gun over to uh, Keefe That's D. what the does question Keefe, does Keefe Yeah, the, cur D, the questioner is. Yeah, does Keefe D say that Zip gave him the gun? I, d I don't know. I've heard in accounts that he does. Okay. He, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Zip was involved. And you and Foxy Brown is a is a rapper. Yeah, and keep in mind, it's real easy to throw out all these names, but if nobody says anything about them, I I just don't know why it is I'm supposed to know these people. You know, part part of the investigation is you're learning about different people and their involvement and stuff, but you have to hear it from different people, and that was not. I don't recall that being one of the big tips, so to speak. Well, my take is they, they, everyone who's asking these questions, they want to know from you directly what yeah, you know. And, and They've I heard just, these I just stories. don't recall any of that. Because that, the Zip and the, the Foxy Brown, is a bit, like I said, is a very unique name, and that doesn't ring a bell to me. So Zip was not a name that came up while you were originally... No, I remember the name, the nickname Zip. I don't remember it right there at the very beginning. And Foxy Brown, not yeah, at all. Yeah, I don't recall. Now, keep in mind, there is a shit pot load of names in that case file that I don't remember. If I had the book, I could sit there and open it up because, I mean, there are pages and pages of names of people, but I just don't remember everybody on there. A couple of questions which are related, so I'm going to okay. spit them out together and you can do with them what you will. Were you taken off the case? And I do know the answer, but I'll let okay. you answer. If so, why? Who took over? When? And where was the case when you retired? And you said you think you know who did it. What stopped you for, from pursuing this lead and eventually making an arrest? Is this person a usual suspect within the Tupac lore world? Or is this person's identity still hiding in the shadows? Okay, let's see if I can remember all this. 
So I was I was involved in the case from the night of his shooting in September 7th of 96 till I left homicide in December of 20, 2001, probably around December 14th, because I promoted. So I was not removed from the case. I ended up getting promoted, so I transferred. Another detective took over the case. I don't know how long he had it before anybody else, because I don't remember when he retired. I didn't keep track of everybody. Uh, so yes, I was involved with it the whole time. Uh, how would you characterize the status of the, the case when you left? Oh, cold? Well, it was active. Yeah, I, well, that's kind of a, Depends on how you look at it. Sure, it was an active case. Was it cold? Well, yeah, in a way it was. Nothing was going, you know, there was no major revelations going on. As far as I know, it's still an open case. Uh, as far as who did it, everybody uses the term usual suspects. So I guess I use that yeah, term. I'm, I'm not, I, I'll say that the person's name is in that title that everybody seems to use. Person of interest is what yeah, you use. But I mean, in the, in fact, I think one of your titles in this episode was the usual suspects. So right. yeah, he's in there in the names that are bandied about. Why? Why didn't I arrest him? Is that what it, how it was? Or? Uh, you said you think you know who did it. Okay. What stopped you from pursuing oh, okay. this what lead and me? eventually making an arrest? Okay. Nothing really stopped me. There was never any evidence other than hearsay and very circumstantial to say anything. Uh... I mean, there's a lot there, but there isn't enough that you can file a charge on. I defy any, well, I don't, like I said, I don't know what they've got in that case file now since I left. But to me, if they had enough evidence to do whatever, charge them or close the case by exceptional circumstances, it would be done. So to me, what that tells me is they don't have really much more than what we had back then to go forward. And just to reiterate in asking, is this person a usual suspect within the Tupac lore world or is this person's identity still hiding in the shadows? You're He's not hiding in the shadows, put it that way. No. That's what I was going yeah, to... No. So why not clear the case? If you can't close it, why not clear it? Well, my from Brent Becker's perspective, I'm not going to answer for anybody else because I don't know what is going on in Las Vegas these days. Uh, from my perspective, I'm not going to throw out someone's name unless... I can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt in court. Simple as that. If I feel I can do that, I would. I've got some murder cases where 
you know, Mike and I know who did it, but you can't prove it in court. In fact, we've got several of them in my logbook that I could do that. And I'll use this guy, this poor, I hate to keep using people say I'm a broken record, but Richard Jewell is the classic example again. He got thrown out under the bus and it wasn't him. And look what happened to the poor guy. So, and there are other people in the world that have done it. You see it all the time where someone spent 20 years in prison for something. And then they were able to find that they weren't the ones that did it. So why do that? I have never put anybody in prison that I did not, wasn't 100% certain did what they did. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to do that. I want to, I'm, before I'm going to ruin someone's life beyond whatever, I'm going to make absolutely sure that what I've got is correct and they're going to go away for it. In a case of Orlando Anderson, in clearing the case, it wouldn't involve prison time because correct. he's passed away. Correct. But how easy is it to, because a guy's dead to blame someone for something if you can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt? If all you're looking for is a stat, well, then I guess you could do that. But then the question will be, well, what evidence beyond a reasonable doubt do you have to say that Orlando Anderson did it and you should do this to his name? And I'm not protecting Orlando Anderson because as far as I'm concerned, Orlando left, led a life that you know he chose to lead. I'm just saying if the person that did this shooting is dead, if all you want to do is get the credit for something, I guess you could throw him out and throw him under the bus. But what what exactly? It doesn't do me any good. It doesn't make me feel good. It seems like Keefe D has come out ahead in all this. Because not only yeah. <laughs> does he not have to worry about being prosecuted, he can also write books, do interviews. Life, life, it's, it's, life seems well, to be good. Well, and that should, raise, that should raise a question then. I, again, Keefe D's made a confession, but can it be corroborated? From, from my involvement, there is no person ever said Keefe D was in that car. No one has ever said that. When you were investigating when the case, no one said that. It, okay. I don't have a clue what's in that file now. I'm just saying from 96 to 01, not one person ever said A, B, C, and D were in that car. They'd ever said one, one of those letters was in the car. And like I said, I've shown photo lineups to a bunch of people. And I can tell you that Keefe D was in one of them photo lineups. I can tell you that Orlando Anderson was in one of those photo lineups. DeAndre Smith, Terrence Brown, Corey Edwards. I'd have to look. I'm just going by names that since we've been doing all this, I've, they've kind of come up. 
I'm trying to remember some other name. Maybe Neckbone was in there. I don't remember there, and I don't remember Neckbone's real name. Uh, but I remember there were a bunch of people in those photo lineups, and no one has ever picked anybody out of those photo lineups. And as I've said time and time again, Orlando Anderson's face has been all over the press. What a great time for someone to come out and say, yeah, Orlando Anderson's the guy I saw in the back seat with a gun. Or, or said, I saw Orlando Anderson in the car. Just something as simple as that. But no one has ever said that. And no one has said it. Because I know, as we've talked about earlier, with Keefe D., he was there in Las Vegas the night of the shooting. He said that previous to all this, and because I wrote about it in Vibe in 1998, right. and he was also there at the party for the Notorious B.I.G. Well, I know Keith so, D. was in Las Vegas. I'll say that. And the only reason, a car. the only thing that says absolute, supposedly, that he was in the car was his confession but you still have to corroborate that. And, and he's, he's the that. only one that's ever named Orlando Anderson face-to-face. Keefe D has named him. Now, there's been all kinds of informant information where you don't have a person saying this. So Keefe D well, is the only person. person to say Orlando Anderson. And again, well, one, you need to corroborate that Keefe D was in the car. I think Keefe D doesn't, isn't he the one that says Terrence Brown and uh, DeAndre Smith are in the car too? Yes. And doesn't he, at one time, doesn't he put somebody else in the car? I think there's a variant or somewhere in there. That I don't recall. Because I thought at one point, didn't Zip, the name Zip come up somehow? Other than the handing off of the gun? Or maybe that's where I'm getting confused. I don't remember. I think there are reports about Zip being in Las Vegas. Okay. Maybe I'm I'd getting have confused to, with that part, but as far you need as... A, you need one of those boards well, to... Well, you know, and this, is a, this is a long time ago, so I, I can't tell you for sure, but I can just tell you there's a boatload of names in there. But Keefe D is the only person who is publicly, and when I say person, I mean person you can name publicly said that and you and yeah we know he was in las vegas but can you corroborate that he was in that car and since my understanding is his story may have tweaked a little bit i don't know this is a question for me but uh, i'd like to ask you first but it's from ashley who asks as an emmy award-winning visual and verbal storyteller have any of your own perceptions of the murder investigation changed over the past 25 years since your initial reporting in 1996? And the answer that I have for that, well, first, let me ask you, how have your perceptions changed since 1996 of the investigation and the, the perceptions of the murder? Uh, my perception. Well, my, the first perception is that there's, I know of nothing more we could have done at the time on the investigation, considering 
how lacking most people were in saying much of anything. I mean, they'd say bits and pieces, but they'd never go to the point of giving you anything, you know, hard fact about anything. So it would have been great if Suge Knight's come out and made all kinds of comments. If Suge Knight would have said, I saw Keefe D sitting in that car, wouldn't that have been sweet? But Sugar and I didn't say that. Not to us, anyhow. Like I said, I have no idea what's going on today with the investigators, but I still find it hard to believe that they're just sitting on stuff to sit on stuff. That's just not the nature of the job. Uh, it would have been nice. It, it would have been nice. To have been able to arrest somebody for for the for the murder back then, but if anybody if they're going to be honest, someone needs to tell me what facts there are to name people other than Keefe D's confession. Yeah, there's a whole lot of hearsay about a lot of things, but. You don't convict on hearsay, at least not in Las Vegas, you don't. And I would say that the way my perception has changed of the murder investigation, the murder slash investigation, is that in going through all this information 25 years later, if it were a font, the font would have gone from regular to bold in that a lot of the people that I met so many years ago, a lot of the conclusions that were made 25 years ago, 25 years later, they seem to be just bolder. They seem to be more in your face. And really the nucleus of people who I interviewed and wrote about 25 years ago are the same people everybody's talking about. 25 years later, from Keefe D to Orlando to Suge to Reggie Wright, they're still in, very much in the conversation. So that's, that's what I would say. Well, they were all the primary players in the thing, whether they were actually involved as shooters or not, but they were all, they were there. I'll say Keefe D and Orlando Anderson are names that were, well, I've said it, Orlando Anderson, as soon as the videotape came out. And my thought of Orlando Anderson from the day I first saw the video has gotten greater, I guess, got greater yeah. after. That uh, bold, yeah. that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. Going from I mean, a light font or a regular font to a name, bold font. His name, Orlando Anderson, did not disappear from the radar, okay? I'm not saying he's the guy. I'm not going to throw out his name. I know people would love me to say Orlando Anderson. It's why I think it was kind of interesting that one question or person in the shadows. I said, no, there's no person in the shadows. And the and 
I know that they're all focused on who did the shooting, but you got to remember there was more than just the shooter involved in this. Everybody seems to want to throw the shooter out. You notice nobody's talking about the other people that were in the car that took part in this. No one seems to care about them. Well, they're just as guilty. They wanted the guy to be shot because they took part in the whole thing. So, but no one seems to care about them. I, I've, this whole thing has been about Orlando Anderson or whoever did the shooting. They don't care about the driver or the other two people in the car. Now, speaking of Orlando, this is a wrap-up question from Ashley. Mm -hmm. She says, I also have a question for Mr. Becker. From a professional standpoint, with regard to being part of the Las Vegas investigative team, how do you feel about the fact that the case in your own jurisdiction is still open unsolved, despite all the evidence pointing towards an identified suspect, again, Ashley's words, Orlando Anderson, question mark. Also, and again, quoting her words, all the unjustly harsh negative criticism that he and the Las Vegas Metro Police have received from the public for just carrying out his job and the resources he had. Okay. Uh, as far as, and I'm sure she's talking about Orlando Anderson, the evidence, I'm thinking, what factual evidence, I guess, is my question. I'll agree with her. There's a whole boatload of hearsay evidence, circumstantial evidence, but what factual evidence has been presented by anybody? I haven't heard of it. Now, if there is, I haven't heard of it, okay? But from 96 to 01, there was no such thing ever presented. Uh, wouldn't it be great if you could just, because someone said something, go snatch them up and throw them in prison? Apparently, you used to be able to do that at some point in places around the world. I don't agree with it, but that's the way it, it is or was. So, yeah, that would be a simple thing. Uh, but you can bet if we'd have thrown someone in jail without proving it, we'd have heard about that, too. You can bet. Uh, as far as the case not being solved or cleared or whatever, I think I've kind of, I think I've kind of addressed that in that it's it's easy to say a case is closed or a case is cleared. But you need to be able to, to me, anyhow, from my perspective, you need to be able to back that up with facts. I think Ashley wants to know how you feel about that. Oh, well, I don't like the fact that people are slamming me or calling me names or stuff, but there's nothing I can do about it. You know, there's one thing about that job and it wouldn't be the, that wasn't the first time and it wasn't the last time that someone was critical about something we did and why we didn't do something. Uh, I, I can remember family members nailing us on a murder. We know who did it, there ain't, but we can't prove it. And, and they were just upset with us. And I says, well, you know, and we didn't tell them who it was. Or anything, but they knew. I mean, 
on this, especially on the street because of the, it was a gang area type of deal. It was a that kind of a killing. I'm sure everybody knew, but you don't. You can't just put someone in prison because of scuttlebutt on the street. You got to be able to go into court, convince a jury, and you know the defendant's going to have an attorney, and he's probably going to have a good attorney who knows what they're doing. And I'm not going to sit up there and get crucified on the stand because I can't present anything factual. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not pleasant. I mean, since we've done this, I've heard all this nonsense, especially from other law enforcement agencies, which is kind of a, the real kicker. The, the, public, the public's going to be the way they are about things. And... Uh, there's nothing I can do about it, so. So that's how you feel? Yeah, I mean, sure, I'd love to be able, I would love to be able to sit here and spit out someone's name to everybody, but if I can't present the facts as to why I'm saying it, I mean, I'm, I'm convinced who did it, but I can't present the facts. And it, uh, there's a lot of cops. I'm sure Greg Cadian or any of them will tell you they'd have, they had cases where they know who did it, but they couldn't prove it. I mean, as far as I know, is the Biggie case solved or closed? As far as I know, it's still an open case. Right. I understand that Greg Cadian says that he solved that case as well. Okay. Well, then why isn't it prosecuted if he solved it? That's all I ask. I know I've seen the interview where he said if he came on board early on, something that had happened. But the point is, okay, he apparently knows who did it. Can he prove it? Because if he could, why wasn't the case ever submitted to the district attorney? Unless this is another case. Unless they're saying they're... there was something hinky going on, which I know Russ Poole had some comments about different things going on. Well, and... Uh, apparently the person who killed Biggie is dead as well. Okay, well then, by their own words, can they prove that? Because then they could close the case. Close it or clear it? Clear, close, whatever you want to use. <laughs> to me, it's the same thing. The case is over with. And if they know who did it, and even if the person's dead, can they present something to show that and from what I understand they can't because if they would if they could they would have well it seems strange to say but I just have one more question for okay. you <laughs> why are you laughing because you got one more question I think it's going to come from you what I guess you're a good detective <laughs> no. to figure that one out. <laughs> I've just been around you long enough. I kind of get the feeling where it's coming from. I'm waiting for the big wind up. <laughs> well, thankfully, I'm not what, standing on a street curb somewhere. <laughs> um, so, do you suspect what the question is? Nah, I'm going to leave that wide open. I'm not going to. 
Because there's one thing I learned, don't ask the question from my perspective if I don't know the answer. And I don't know for sure what you're going to ask. You you do know the answer okay, to this go, one. Okay, go ahead. Then, then I got a sneaking suspicion I know what the question's going to be, but go ahead. Who killed Tupac? He's, he's in your usual suspects group. He's not a dark shadow or a shadow off to the side. I'll say that. But I'm not going to, I am not going to say the name because I know people would love me to say it. And it would be very simple. Wouldn't it be great if I did? But yes, it'd make a bunch of other people happy. But if I can't back it up with, certain things i don't think i should do that maybe i'm thinking of a way that people don't think these days i don't know and i am going to say after all these hours of interviews it seems hard to think of anyone else and I, this goes against many of the, the listeners to the podcast, by the way. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm basing this conclusion on what I've heard from you. Mm -hmm. And based on this podcast and the interviews conducted in the process of making this podcast, I would say it's hard to say that it's anybody but... What? Orlando Anderson. Okay. And that's a name you want to throw out. I'm not going to throw out anybody. And I'm not saying that it's a name I want to throw out. Oh, no. I'm I, saying I, I understand that. Orlando name... Anderson's the name that's been thrown out since 1996. All right? Right. And I'm not going to say it's not him, and I'm not going to say... It is him because I'm just not going to say. And I I'm just, going to say. From my, my personal feeling is if I'm going to throw out anybody's name, I want to be able to go A to Z on the facts. And I would love to be able to go A to Z on the facts on everybody else that's in that car. Because they're as guilty as the person that pulled the trigger. And that's kind of the crux of my problem with this, is no one seems to give a damn about those people when they're just as guilty as the shooter. But in order to get those people, don't you have to establish firmly exactly. who the, that, that's who the, whole the point, shooter was? You gotta have, you've got to have the hard facts on there. And I will say that Keefe D's confession is a wonderful thing. But you still got to corroborate it. Right. If someone would come forward, of course, well, there's still what? One, two people that were in the bodyguard car. There's Suge Knight. Uh, who knows for sure about other people and other guard, bodyguards or for death row. I don't think the girl, any of the girls could, because from the the they would have. Well, yeah, they have no reason not to. 
And I don't think they were in a position to see a face anyhow. You don't convict on a silhouette. And I can or tell you arm. that I can't say which ones, but we're showing photo lineups and they never picked anybody. So. Do you have any sense that this case will be solved or cleared within your lifetime? I have, I don't, I have no idea. Like I said, I would, curiosity has kind of gotten to me as far as if they have anything new in the case file. But I mean, they obviously have Keefe D's confession. But that's been years and nothing's happened. Yeah. Well, and I, I emphasize you got to corroborate everything he says. And apparently they haven't gotten that corroboration yet. Because you could, you could arrest Keefe D. I'm just throwing a hypothetical deal. So his confession is everything. Well, what if he recants? And there'll be an argument because I think he gave that confession to L.A. based on a drug charge that he had, they had holding over him. That's my understanding. All right. Well, his confession is based on a crime that occurred in Nevada. And, you know, this is where you got lawyers involved and they can decide all that. Will that confession fly in Nevada? Because I... I myself could see some arguments being thrown out by a good attorney because it had nothing to do with the uh, murder investigation. It was related to something else. And I don't know, was he, I don't, I don't know all the circumstances surrounding the confession. So. Well, it seems like the confession inoculated him from any future well, prosecution. So he wasn't, don't, don't they call that king for a day? I don't know that it inoculated him. Well, why is he going out? Why does he feel so free that, to go out and write you, books and You'd have to ask him that. That's, that is something you'd have to ask him. Orlando Anderson's name has been thrown out and in the paper and in the news and everything, and he gets killed in a silly car wash over some other nonsense. And I heard the, was it, was it? Tweed Cadillac saying that that was a bad car wash. Yeah, I remember that. hearing that. But wasn't there, one of the McDonald's said something about you don't strike outside the neighborhood or something like that? Right. All right. Well, the brother Buntry's well, Andrew brother Anderson was in the neighborhood all the time. Tupac Shakur and Biggie were killed outside the neighborhood. Granted. Outside. I. My belief is, well, one, neither one of them were really true gang members. So did they ever live in, Tupac never lived in Compton, as far as I know. Not to my knowledge. I don't know. I know that Biggie was from the New York area. Did he live in a Brooklyn. gang? Brooklyn. Did he live in a gang area, though? It actually, I was in the brownstone where he was brought up. Beautiful. Okay, so he was in a decent but neighborhood. One, one last chance. Okay. No. Would you like to? No. <laughs> You've always been persistent. But I have to know when to give up. Well, you don't have to give up. And I'm sure everybody's already assumed something 
as far as the way I'm acting, but because I know you, just, you've already admitted it. So admitted what? Orlando, that everything I'm saying, it's Orlando Anderson. You just said that. I'm saying being logical. Yeah. It's the logical, the logical conclusion in all of this. And logical things. Based that, on what you're saying. Right. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that I investigated the case. I'm not saying, I'm saying I talked to you. Right. I asked you questions. And based on a series of questions over a series of days, over a few months, my conclusion, based on what I've heard from you, what you've been willing to say, what you've not been willing to say, I come to the conclusion that it's Orlando Anderson. And logic, logic is a wonderful thing. I think in a lot of cases, people say, well, logically, this person did whatever. Prove it. That's the key to everything. You have to be able to prove it. Unless we turn into a society where you can just go snatch people up because someone says something that's unsubstantiated. That's not the way our society works right now. Or at least it shouldn't be working. So logically, you and I both are thinking of the same person. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> you you try to throw it at every angle. It's, I give you credit. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll let it go at that. Okay. And say thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I've learned a lot. Even if I didn't get to answer directly from yeah. you from that question, but thank goodness there is logic. Twenty-five years after the murder of Tupac Shakur, no arrests have been made. Thanks to all of you who've submitted questions for now-retired homicide detective Brent Becker. And for any of you who have answers regarding what happened 25 years ago, please send me a private message via Tupac Murder underscore podcast on Instagram or Twitter, or just go directly to TupacMurderPodcast.com. Lanos Easeway reporting, Tupac's Murder Was His Case was created, produced, written, and hosted by Lanos Easeway. That's me. I also created the music and artwork, and since you've asked, I have now made my artwork available via Society6. You'll find it under the name Nozizwe, N-O-Z-I-Z-W-E, Originals. That's original with an S, again, on Society6. A second thank you this episode to Jen Nathan Orris, the sound producer, audio consultant, and all-around very supportive human. Lowell T.C. Woundla is the creative consultant emeritus. Special thanks to Joe Mayer and Annabelle Vidrio. You've been listening to Lana Nuzizwe reporting Tupac's murder was his case. Be sure to subscribe and please tell your friends to do the same. And for extra content, do go to TupacMurderPodcast.com.
I'll be adding more as the weeks go by. Did I say thank you, Mucho, for listening? If I did, I guess that's a wrap. You've been listening to Lennon Azizwe reporting. Tupac's murder was his case. An Azizwe T original. All rights reserved. Three, two, one.